2: Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, on 101 ESPN.
3: Pompeo, with a cross, the goal, goal! Night. I can't <laughs>
0: even contain myself. How long was that? To, can you look up t How long is the goal call from last night? St. Louis City SC, a huge win in round one <laughs> of a non MLS game, leg one of the Concacaf <laughs> Match Champions Cup yeah. game. Get that right. Seriously,
4: yeah. how long is it?
3: Uh, so that last portion is eleven seconds. Okay. Oh, okay, man.
4: so goal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm impressed else. by that. That's yeah. impressive. He had no color commentator, so he's like, oh well, I guess I'll just hold goal
0: play until out, the next bro. play. It's like yesterday when I pointed <laughs> at you. Goal. If I had just gone like this, Alex would have gone. Yeah. Go! Goal. Go! Goal. <laughs>
4: Our bedtime routine with my oldest daughter Is we watch an episode of Daniel Tiger Or something before she goes to bed So we're she's watching that while I've got my phone On the MLS match And so I'm watching it and I got the volume low But I could still hear it That <laughs> happened and about three seconds in My daughter goes daddy turn it off Watching TV So she couldn't even handle the 11 second goal call So
0: that's what it sounded like Again that audio courtesy of Fox Sports 2 We'll get to that the was broadcast. Part two. <laughs> Yeah he did it twice <laughs> so nice, you felt like you earned it twice. Oh, hey, that's exactly what City needed. Because last year, let's be honest, guys, the ending of the season kind of left a sour taste in all of our mouth. Like, you didn't finish particularly well in the regular season, and you get to the playoffs, and it just ends so abruptly against Sporting. And so for you to come back and you, you got these good vibes, and I understand not technically an MLS game, but, you know, it's against Gosh. an MLS team on an MLS field against an MLS goalie. Like everything about that was basically MLS. <laughs> I'm MLS. Sorry, it's pre-season, soccer But it's not it. technically an MLS yeah. game. And so you get out there, great vibes. Crowd was amazing last night. And your team goes out there and performed pretty damn well, all things considered. They clearly were not at 100% just yet, but neither was Houston. And you find a way to get the win. And the way that you do it is by this homegrown kid, essentially, first-round pick that signed earlier in the day, and in the 85th minute, he subs in, and he gets the game-winning goal in the 90th minute of the game. You can't ask for anything more than that, really, honestly. So a hell of a night for uh, St. Louis city SC.
4: Yeah, it? it really was. And I mean, like we talked about this yesterday, like it was, it was kind of odd how the season was beginning with this CONCACAF match, but I mean, watching it, it did kind of bring back the feel that you had last year watching city SC. And like you mentioned, like the disappointment that was the end of your season where, you know, you were a little fat and happy waiting around for your matchup. And when you got sporting KC, of course, it didn't go your direction. The part for me that I, that at least was noticeable to a non-soccer educated eye was like it felt like the identity of city SC flipped a little bit. And I understand they didn't have all of their guys in there compared to what it typically was, but it felt like last year we were always talking about how great their offense was, how dynamic they were off of the rush and creating those scoring opportunities. Man, last night it felt like that was all defense for them. What did they allow? Like six total shots for Houston. So uh, at least again, from the untrained eye watching it, it was like, damn, You talk a little bit more about their defense this year, which is what we were talking about hurt them towards the end of the season last year.
3: Yeah. And and I thought the main reason you didn't see their kind of high press identity was because it was the first game. It was just kind of clunky. And and I think that's going to change. Like there were spurts in that when they scored that first goal, all of a sudden it was like a six minute stretch. You're like, okay, that's the city I remember from last year and look they have some personnel changes and like you mentioned like Leuven didn't come in until the second half because he's just not 90 minutes fit just quite yet but I I think they're going to be a lot like they were last year where you're going to see that high powered press they're going to generate a lot of offense off of it I I don't think they're going to be a defensive identity team in fact I thought one of their center backs in Yarrow was bad last night Um, but I I think they're going to be a lot like last year's team where you're going to really fall in love with them because it's going to be high press it's going to be energetic fun soccer to be watching it reminded me a lot of the team that we saw last year now hopefully doesn't end in the same results but i i was impressed by what we saw last night from city sc
0: yeah they spent all off season basically focusing on what you're talking about alex now are those guys going to work out we'll see time will tell right we'll see what they look like in this system especially as the season really gets going but through one game not too bad somebody on the text line i knew this was going to come
4: oh good i bet they love our soccer breakdown after they complained about us not having soccer breakdown
0: yesterday Guys, Jose Kojima is not a homegrown player. He's a draft pick. Homegrown means they come up through the City Academy. Idiot. <sighs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
4: <sighs> why don't you educate yourself, man?
3: <laughs> Just, huh? Why I'm, do we got to do this? I'm glad that 309 is holding you accountable. Yeah. Why don't you, <laughs> why don't why don't you do educate this? yourself? You deserve this. You, you put a picture police. out yesterday
4: about how excited you were for the match. Get educated.
3: Thank you, three o nine.
4: Wait, hold on. Where, where is the three o
3: nine? Honestly, I have no idea, dude. That's uh, Virginia. It's no, it's Illinois. It's Virginia. Well, we have some texts that come in from the Virginia Peoria, area.
0: Illinois. Thank you, Peoria, Illinois. Shut up Imagine, imagine sending that text. Imagine. I mean, imagine reacting it. to it.
3: The text is right, <laughs> but I'm sorry. St. Louis, Louigans deserve better. All you know right. what? Play
4: the
0: goal call again. We need
3: to hear it. <laughs> no, no,
0: please. Please
4: do not. Fine, Fine. I'll do it myself. No! <laughs>
0: Stop. Stop it. That is We by the way.
1: Oh, we will talk about problem.
0: <laughs> we will talk about the first round pick. Jose Kajima. Now, will join the talented. show coming up at 1 30 today. We want to talk to him about what yesterday must have been like, dude. It's a first round pick that signed his contract yesterday in the morning, and then by the end of the day, has scored his first CONCACAF not technically MLS goal thank you and he did so to the tune of an 85th minute entrance into the game as a sub and he did it in the 90th minute of his first ever appearance for an MLS team in a CONCACAF game and it became the game-winning goal pretty damn cool hell of a day for Kojima so we'll talk to him about that coming up at 130 but doesn't matter to his MLS career yeah, clearly it doesn't count as an MLS goal not important I do want to give the other side of what took place last night. That broadcast was. Just (laughs) do you want to play the goal call again? (laughs) I felt bad for him. It was a disaster. It wasn't his fault. That was awful. (laughs) I I don't know how that happened. Why it happened. Who allowed that to happen? Hold on. What do you mean? It wasn't his fault. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, it's so, not his fault the poor guy had to do it remotely yeah. and not have a color commentator. Also, didn't sound very so,
0: prepared for it.
4: i sure
3: FS2 was like, hey, what are you doing
0: tonight? Eh, you for know, those I might that have did not watch the game, the broadcast last night for St. Louis City SC for a game that MLS in CONCACAF is trying to tell everybody this matters. We want this tournament to be a big deal. So go find FS2. <laughs> it's going to be a channel that you've probably never watched before. Fox Sports. No, no, no. Not Fox. Not Fox Sports 1. Fox Sports 2 is where you can find this game. We are not sending a broadcaster to the stadium. No, he will be doing this game remotely. Oh, a color commentator? Absolutely not. We will not have somebody with him. It'll just be one guy that's doing his damn best to make this into a watchable product. And it is not easy to do that with one man on a 90-minute soccer game where you don't have commercial breaks. So he's struggling, man. It's it's tough. It's difficult to be able to get the ebbs and the flows of a game as just one broadcaster unless you are one of the best in the world at doing this. That can't happen. If you're trying to make this – if you think that this isn't a big deal, fine, put it on FS2 – Make it a game that just basically treated as a preseason game. But if you as CONCACAF or MLS want this to matter, that can't be the way that you're going about this in the future. Can't
4: happen. Yeah, I, that was a disaster. When we, because I, I wanted to, I wanted to find it before I kind of started bath time with my girls, and we texted the group and I said, "Hey, where is this at?" Because I was checking the Apple app and I was, and T Bone's like, "FS 2 I'm like, what is it? Like, okay, I meant
3: to hit one. Yeah.
4: Retext that. What does that mean? Because you misspelled FS1 or FS, whatever. No, FS2 was where it was. Like, obviously, CONCACAF is a different entity than what MLS was. So you'd expect a little bit of a different product. But that's the part about it. If you're trying to make it be a big deal to where, hey, you're watching this start prior to the MLS season and these guys playing an in-season tournament. Make it a little bit more accessible and make it a little bit more popular and promoting if you're going to sit there and try and force me to believe that this is meaningful. It was a fun match to watch. Don't get me wrong. It was great to see City in action, but don't try and sell me that CONCACAF is this massive tournament that we should get excited about if you're putting it on FS2 and having a guy broadcasting it from a studio hundreds of miles away.
3: Yeah, and I think to the point there as well is, one, it cannot be on FS2 if you're going to make it a big deal, and two... And I think part of this is probably on Fox as well. Send, an act, send a full crew there. Like, what were the top announcers for Fox doing last night? The soccer announcers. Because I, they surely were not doing another game for Fox because you know what I didn't see? Another soccer game going on on Fox. Right. It was all basketball. So, like, their top crew should have been at that game. It should have been at the game that followed that. As well, that was on FS2 for the other CONCACAF games. So I think it's a problem for if CONCACAF going to make it a big deal, you guys are 100% right. They've got to get a better network than FS2. But if you're going to make it a big deal, you also got to make it known to Fox, like, hey, this is a big deal. Let's send, like, the top crews. And not just some guy that's doing it in a studio. And, and like we
4: talked about yesterday, I mean, we were getting so much blast back because, you know, and I need to educate ourselves. You got to put broadcasters that can educate you on the sport in a game, especially something like that, that you want people to get excited for. Not a guy who at times and, and no disrespect to him, but at times I felt like he didn't understand certain rules in the match.
0: Yeah, it it wasn't a good broadcast and it was difficult to find for a lot of people and when they put it on FS2, that's telling you exactly how they feel about the game. Like, let's just be honest. Like we, we watch this with college football every week, right? Two weeks prior, they will send out how the SEC games are going to be distributed, the times and the channels in which they will appear on. If your game is the 230 CBS game, your game matters that week. That is the creme de la creme, right? If it's Mizzou versus Tennessee and they get on CBS hot damn, we got the game of the week as the Missouri Tigers, right? That matters. If you're putting, if you're giving this match to FS2, it's telling fans, we don't think this is as big of a deal as we're trying to tell you that it is, but we hope maybe someday it will become a big deal. If you're actually invested in it, put it on FS1. I'm not telling you got to put it on Big Fox. That's a big leap, right? Put it on FS1. Give it an opportunity to potentially grow and like you said, bring some broadcasters. Can, can you bring some broadcasters that are actually going to be at the game? Maybe they talked to the players or the coaches beforehand. It gives you a little bit more of a glimpse into what this game's, ac- this match, excuse me, is actually going to be. We didn't get any of that last night. Hopefully on Saturday, we will get a little bit more of that as St. Louis City SC takes on Salt Lake. I hope we get more of this. Goal! I do not that's Ian Richardson and I'm Braden 9646 <laughs> is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. You can check us out on YouTube as well at <laughs> youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. We've got the graveyard check going on over there. Again, Jose Kajima is going to join the show coming up at 1 30. Excited to talk to the new St. Louis City SC midfielder. Not homegrown, was their first round pick, yeah. though. Coming up next, the Blues officially are putting Bull Duke into the lineup in their next game. Where will he be? Who's he playing with? We got an update on that earlier today. We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right
2: back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: He's Alex. That's Steve on, on BK. The Blues took the practice ice earlier today, and they had Zachary Duke in the lineup. Alex. They decided to put him on the second line. Interesting here. Like Yesterday I was listening to the fast lane, and I know Jamie was talking about, hey, get him started, lower down in the lineup, allow him to kind of ease his way into things. Doesn't appear to be the way that Drew Bannister is going to go about it. They have him on the second line with Jake Neighbors and Braden Shin. So your lines earlier today for Morning Rush. Booch, Thomas, Kyra, as expected neighbors shin and bull Duke, and then that means you're going to have a third line of sod hayes and kapanen and a fourth line of torpchenko sunny and walker your extras on the forward side of things or sammy blay and alexandrov alex this is something that you suggested yesterday you said hey if they're gonna bring bull Duke up give him an opportunity to show what he can do put him with a center that's going to put him in a position to succeed put him with a center that's going to be defensively stable it's going to actually play his position well and put them on a line with somebody that's going to go to the front of the net so you can clear some space. Let's see what Zachary Bolduc is able to provide you. What do you think of them putting him on the second line with Shin and neighbors. I I love it. I I think this is the way it should be because the whole purpose of you bringing up Zachary
4: Bolduc is you need offense in your top six. You've played there with Kapanen and it has not worked. You've played with everybody in your top nine, Blay, Torepchenko, Alexandrov, Sundquist. You have not been getting the contributions that you need. So rather than play Kapanen there, why not put a goal scorer in that position? And to put Zachary Bolduc there. Uh, it does exactly what coaches want from their line combinations. It has a puck retriever, Jake Neighbors. It has your centerman, your playmaker, Braden Shen. And it has your goal scorer, the guy that shoots the puck in Zachary Bolduc. And if you don't believe me, go back in November and December when Craig Berube had Jordan Kairou playing with Braden Shen. The first couple of games did not work out. I think Jordan Kairou in the first, what was it, six games, seven games of the season had three total points and one of those was a goal. And then he played the next 20 games with Braden Shen and scored 14 total points while Braden Shen picked up 15 points. You need a goal scorer on that line, and that's what Zachary Bolduke is. If you missed it yesterday, since January 1st, Bolduke, and I know it's the AHL, he scored four goals and 10 points in 18 games for the Springfield Thunderbirds. You're bringing him up here for a reason, and that's to score goals. So I'm glad that they're doing it this way. I would have liked to see them juggle up all three lines. I would have liked to see them give Jake Neighbors an opportunity with... Pavel Buchnevich, and Robert Thomas. I would have liked to see Duke with Shen and Saad, and I would have liked to see Cairo move down with Hayes and Kapanen so you can try and distribute the offense. But this is what you want Duke for. You want him to create offense opportunities at 5-on-5, five five. and I was speaking with a couple of people who have seen him in the minors earlier today and been around him for the Springfield Thunderbirds. And they said he's got an incredible shot that translates to the NHL, but he has put so much of an emphasis on his defensive game and his 200-foot game and takes pride in it. So I think they're rewarding a kid, and he should be in your top six.
3: Yeah, I, and I, I like the fact that they're doing this because, like, let's be honest, the Hayes, Sod, Captain, Torchenko, Sunquist, Walker, that's two fourth lines right now. They're operating as if those are two fourth lines slash third lines. And the problem I had with what Craig Berube would do when he was bringing when they'd bring up some kids like a Bolduc type or Jake Neighbors is he'd start them on the fourth line, yeah. and he'd say go go earn your minutes. And like I get that to a certain extent, but like a player like Zachary Bolduc's never going to succeed on a fourth line. Like let's just be honest, he's yeah. an offensive minded player. So I love the fact that you throw him in your top six right off the bat, and you put him with like you said a defensive minded centerman and Braden Shen. You've got a guy with Jake Neighbors who's going to go park himself in front of the net. I love what Drew Bannister is doing with Bolduc in his first. appearance. here with the NHL club.
0: This is what my frustration had been previously about the way that they handled Jake neighbors like early on this season. I understand it ended up working out. It is what it is. It's not a huge deal, but early on in the season, Jake neighbors was very clearly one of your best nine forwards. Like there was no way to argue otherwise, but his ice time was not representing that because he was playing on your fourth line. And I understand what the coaches would tell you. And I get it to a degree. You want them to earn it, right? You want them to get out there and show you that they are worthy of more ice time. But I thought Jake Neighbors had earned ice time pretty quickly this season. And there were other guys that were playing in your top nine that I didn't feel like were deserving of that ice time. And so I I thought pretty quickly it should have been earned by Neighbors to go up in the lineup. And it, it took longer than what I would have otherwise expected. This is something that I like to see, actually. Give him a real opportunity. Let him go out there and play with somebody that can get him the puck. Let's be honest, guys. Kevin Hayes is fine. There's nothing wrong with having Kevin Hayes as your third line center. I don't think Kevin Hayes is the guy that you put a big-time goal scorer next to him and say, Hey, go enjoy the, the great distributing that you're going to get, the rush opportunities that you're going to get by playing with Kevin Hayes. To your point, when Yakub
4: Verano was here, who was he playing with? Kevin Hayes and yeah. what did he do? Nothing.
0: It, and it's not like there were other things that obviously <laughs> happened with <laughs> there's a lot Yaku, of other Prada things. There. There's a reason why he's not here and he's still down in the AHL while Bull Duke is getting this opportunity. But I, I think Kevin Hayes is, is at a de facto fourth line centerman for you at this point in time. Like, and we would say the same thing is true about Oscar Sundquist, right? So you've got two guys that can really distribute the puck as centers on this team right now. It's Braden Shin and it's Robert Thomas. Putting him with Robert Thomas is a tall task right now because that line is going up against the best line right. every single night. They're getting a ton of opportunities, and you've got a lot of responsibility that's coming your way. Putting him up there, it's a tall task. I understand that. I personally would have liked to have seen them put Jake Neighbors up that's there I for this because I, I don't know that I love the idea of Shin with two very young players. I know Neighbors has played a very responsible game, but it's just a lot. It's a lot of load for Braden Shin to have to carry. But if I'm gonna put him with somebody, Braden Shin's the guy that I want him with. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it, I think it's part of why Jake Neighbors has had so much success is because he's playing with Shin. And I, I'll be curious to see what this looks like. Man. And it
4: does give you an opportunity to see how Bolduc plays. I mean, it's not like Shen's line goes up against incompetent lines. You're going to see him play against some other team's second best line. So you get to see what his defensive game looks like. Has that made improvements? But what it also does is it provides you another line that you can throw out there to try and get mismatches because Brandon Saad, Kevin Hayes, and Casperri Kapanen is not a liability to put out there. If you put them out there, they're a responsible line that can get puck possession. And you hope that they can get some offensive opportunities for a guy like Capitan and Sod, but it gives you an opportunity to use mismatch. What you have been doing is you've had zero opportunities for mismatch because you've had no offense on the Braden Shen line with the exception of Jake Neighbors. You've had no puck retriever in that Kevin Hayes line because Brandon Sod has been that power forward and Hayes has had to be retrieving pucks. You've got no shooter, which means Bannister's been using his fourth line. So this gives you an opportunity to at least see what the kid has to offer. I don't expect any power play time for him. I expect probably 12, 13 minutes at five on five late in games. I could see them taking off Bull Duke and putting Captain in there. But for the first two periods, let's see if his shot can be a difference maker for this blues team.
0: He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, the one other change that they're doing to the lineup uh, for the next game. It looks like potentially Perunovic is going to be back in. Now he has not been activated from the IR. In fact, he was just placed on the IR yesterday, but He was skating with Scandella as the third pairing defenseman, according to Jeremy Rutherford Mm -hmm. earlier today, if that ends up being the way that they go about it in the next game. Is this his last opportunity to really latch onto a spot in this lineup? I think so.
4: I think if you're Scott Perunovich, this is your last chance to impress because Matthew Kessel is not coming out of this lineup. I can almost guarantee you that for the remainder of this season because they, along with a lot of scouts, have been impressed with how Kessel has played. So when Justin Falk comes back, which the reports are he was skating earlier today, even after he was placed on LTIR, when Falk comes back, there's one guy that comes out of the lineup. And it's Scott Perinovich. Now your goal, if you're Scott Pernovich, is to force the Blues to sit a Marcos Gandela when Justin Falk comes back, if you play well. And being a potential RFA or UFA after this season and having three straight years where you've been injured... This is an opportunity, I would say, with the next 8-10 to game stretch to go out there and show both Doug Armstrong and Drew Bannister that you can provide something to this team. And if you don't, then I think they're going to move on.
0: Blues off again tonight, back in action tomorrow night against the New York Islanders. Pre-game coverage for that one begins right here on your Home of the Blues tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Alex will have that for you. Puck drop tomorrow at 7. Coming up next, let's get into some NFL quick hitters, including, you know about the Jordan rules? How about the Patrick Mahomes rules according to one division rival? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
3: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find
1: a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alex, that's T-Bone on BK. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. So you've heard about the Jordan rules, right? When the Detroit Pistons would go up against Michael Jordan and they would just beat the ever-living crap out of him. Well, Antonio Pierce, the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, went on a podcast recently, and when talking to Max Crosby, his defensive end, said, we've got the Patrick Mahomes rules here in Las Vegas. What does v- that mean, BK? Quote, you remember when jordan went through the pistons all those guys in the 80s before he became michael jordan air jordan the pistons used to whip his you know what anytime he came into the hole elbows feeling love love taps they touched him they were in his head mentally physically emotionally spiritually i'm touching you so i showed those guys jordan getting his you know what whipped and told them that we're going to do the same thing to patrick mahomes Alex, you like this mentality? Hell yeah! This is Dan
4: Campbell 2.0. This is biting kneecaps, only he's targeting one player that a lot of people probably hate in the league. Good for Antonio Pierce. This is why I said that would be the best hire for the Raiders. He epitomizes what the Raiders are hoping to be and what the fan base of the, the Raiders is. Now, it used to be in Oakland, now in Vegas. Not so much if it's the same way. But those fans like that gritty, rugged style. You've got a Max Crosby who is a pain in the ass to play against. So if you're Antonio Pierce, that's the best thing you could have said in terms of PR to start your tenure as the head coach with the Raiders. Now you got to back it up. Dan Campbell backed they beat it him. up. They beat him this year. Well, what I mean is you got to back it up consistently. Like when Dan Campbell stepped in with the Detroit lions, then bite kneecaps is great. If you would have gone two wins for three straight years, nobody would have bleep and cared. And you'd be gone by now. It's like
0: the Nick Sirianni thing. Remember you were talking about the, the garden that he yeah, had. Be what was it? The flowers r- flower were a beautiful or flower that is uh, butting the pedals or whatever. And at, at the time, <laughs> you were like, man, this guy might be an idiot. And then he went to the Super Bowl later on that season. Now we're kind of back to square one with Nick Sirianni wondering, is he really going to yeah, be the future think head coach? of think thinking the too much Eagles? of the flowers with but the Eagles. <laughs> when you make a statement like this, you're right, Alex. You better back it up. Mm-hmm. And this past season, he did. He and his team were one of the rare teams, and this happened on Christmas Day, They kicked the crap out of the Chiefs. They made them look terrible. Alex, their quarterback did not complete a pass. The Raiders quarterback did not complete a pass in the final three quarters of that game, and the Raiders won. That tells you everything you need to know about what they were able to do defensively against Patrick Mahomes. That was the day that, according to the Chiefs, everything changed for them because they basically said, that's not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. The Vegas Raiders put that mentality into the Kansas City Chiefs. So, credit to them, and credit to Antonio Pierce. I'm fascinated to see what this looks like now
4: not the smartest thing to put out there that you're going to be taking extra blows at Patrick Mahomes when you know the officials already throw those flags when he gets blown on let alone extra hits to him
3: that's the thing is like in the like 10 15 years ago man you could really punish a quarterback
4: Ray Lewis nowadays
3: like I I don't know like you can do this big hoopla that he's doing now Pierce but I just don't know how well he's going to actually be able to implement this with the way that they protect quarterbacks now like 10 years ago, yeah, you could go out, you could get like the two stabs, you could drill the quarterback. Now, like, you land on him wrong and there's a flag. So, yeah, you put all your I, body weight on him. Yeah, I, I love luck. what he's saying. I really do. But I just don't know if you can do all the loving, touching, you know, feeling? hitting, feeling the quarterback like he's hoping to do. All you
0: right, do whatever you want,
3: man. Next <laughs> thing is we go
0: through some NFL quick hitters. There was a piece earlier today on ESPN.com by a couple of their insiders about what the future holds for Justin Fields. Let's start here. Do you guys agree that the consensus is at this point that Justin Fields will be traded and the Bears will select Caleb Williams at number one?
3: Yeah, he unfollowed him on Instagram. I don't
4: don't agree with the decision, but I agree that's going to happen.
0: I think so too. And I think it's the right move. As much as I still like Justin Fields, when you have an opportunity to take a guy that people that have watched more of Caleb Williams than we have, and I've watched a decent amount of him, but not as much as some of these NFL draft uh, draft Knicks that are out there. They view him as one of the best quarterback prospects that we've seen in the last decade. You probably can't give that up to continue to go down your merry little way with Justin Fields. So they put together, okay, what does it look like if you traded Justin Fields? The potential offers that they yielded in this piece, Alex, were from the Pittsburgh Steelers second and a fourth round pick the Atlanta Falcons second round pick, in the Las Vegas Raiders, a sec, or a third-round pick in Hunter Renfro. Oh, you can't give up Hunter Renfro. <laughs> I think they're going to cut Hunter Come Renfro on, man. this offseason. No wonder why he's in the offer. <laughs> take him, take him, take him. Do you think those are the three most likely landing spots for Justin Fields? The Raiders, the Falcons, and the Steelers? Yeah, because I think those are the three teams that absolutely
4: are desperate for quarterbacks. I, I, I just don't think the Steelers really get that much better because I think they're still missing a lot on their team other than just a quarterback. Um, but I still think they need a quarterback. So one of those three, I would say Atlanta and Vegas are the two teams that should be doing everything possible to get Justin Fields. Do you think he makes either of them a playoff team? I think he makes both a playoff team, or at least playoff con- a playoff bubble team, I should say.
3: I-, I think the only one that he can make a playoff team of those three would be Atlanta, and that's just because they're in the NFC and the NFC South for that matter. Um, I... I- I think those are the three teams because I think those are the three teams that are so desperately in need of quarterback, and there are two quarterbacks that are going to be majorly available this offseason. It's Fields via trade and Kirk Cousins via free agency. So I'm fascinated to see because that's two guys, three teams that we mentioned, and the Vikings could be thrown in this conversation if they lose Kirk Cousins. But, yeah, I, I think those are the teams. I would say Atlanta makes the most sense for him. He's got weapons. You can come in there, run that offense. And, again, I think he can legitimately make them a playoff team. I don't know if they're a Super Bowl contender by any means, but they can get in the playoffs, and hell, they'd probably be the favorite in the NFC South.
0: I kind of love the idea of him with Las Vegas Raiders, especially with Antonio Pierce now. I, I kind of like it. See, I don't I don't think it
4: would
3: work. I, I think this Antonio Pierce... Conversation. It's fun right now. We saw the excitement. It feels like it is going to flop majorly. It very well might. But
0: that defense has some players. And you've got Devontae Adams there. He's a heck of a player. Josh Jacobs, we'll see what happens with him contractually. He's a hell of a player as well. I kind of like the idea of a, a grinded out running game with the opportunity to throw it to... Uh, Devontae Adams, 10, 15 times a game, the way that they did last year in Chicago with DJ Moore, just have that guy be a little better version of himself with Devontae Adams. Also, Justin Fields, for all of his faults, has a heck of a cannon of an arm. You could get Devontae Adams going deep, have some opportunities there. I kind of like the idea of him with the Las Vegas Raiders. The more I think about it, the more I open up to it. I still think Pittsburgh, though, to me, is the spot. I I don't think it makes them immediately a playoff team necessarily. I think it gives them a pretty good opportunity to do so, though. He fits in with the ethos of that town, of who they want to be. They want to be a run-first, run-oriented football team. I could see him performing pretty well there in Pittsburgh. So for me, that would be, if I could name my spot, they're the one. All right, final thing here, guys. NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. There was a piece yesterday on Get Up. They said, would you rather see... Chris Jones or Mike Evans on the Chiefs in 2024. I promise you I'm not doing this just because I'm a Chiefs guy. It was one of their big questions of the day for the NFL this offseason. Two of the biggest stars going into free agency. Chris Jones, the outgoing defensive tackle for the Chiefs. Mike Evans, the wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you could only have one next year, Alex, who would you rather have in Kansas City?
4: Chris Jones. I mean, you just freaking one with Nicole <laughs> Hardman, and Valdez Scantling as your wide receiver uh, weapons. You won because your defense was awesome and I would keep Chris Jones and I would see if I can draft some type of sleeper pick with the last pick in the first round at a wide receiver or I would make some type of low-level signing like Juju Smith-Schuster. I would not spend all my assets on a wide receiver, especially a Mike Evans, who has been known to be inconsistent.
3: Yeah, I think I would go Chris Jones as well. I'm with you. Just because I think now their identity, the Chiefs, is their defense. And you saw the havoc that he caused on Brock Purdy. Did he have a sack in the Super Bowl? I can't remember if he did or not. He didn't have a sack, but But he he was consistently
0: in his face. That was one of my parlays that I didn't get.
3: That's tough. Um, And and it altered altered the game for the 49ers. Brock Purdy was never comfortable stepping up in the pocket. Why? Because there's Chris Jones. And I don't know if you guys feel this way. But I feel like defensive tackles now age better than wide receivers. Wide receivers kind of, once it goes, it's kind of like a running back. Now, it doesn't happen as just quick. just going are
4: they starting to become running backs? The, they, no. I don't
3: think they're that because I think they are important, and I think the Chiefs still need to upgrade that wide receiver room this yeah. offseason. But I, I think they do. Like, the moment it goes, it is gone. But you is know? it
4: easier to find them in the draft than spend money on free agency? more of them. Yeah. So the,
3: the thing I mean, with the at, wide receivers the right now, look dude, at their wide receiver true. room.
0: Fair, but there are so many wide receivers that people like in this year's upcoming draft. And look at all the receivers that are so incredibly young over the last two or three years that have immediately come in and made a huge difference. Like Puka Nakua, you can't count on getting that guy in the fifth round, I think is when yeah. the Rams selected him. You can't count on that, but you know somebody from this year's draft is going to hit. In the fifth round or later, Tank Dell for the uh, the Houston Texans. I think he was the second round pick for them. Like You can find second, third round picks. Look at the Packers. All of their guys were second and third round picks this year. And with Jordan Love at quarterback, they made it work. So if I'm the Chiefs, I'm not going the Mike Evans route. Instead, I would go see what the price is going to be on Curtis Samuel. Go see what the price is going to be on Tyler Boyd. Go see what the price is for Josh Reynolds. And then go draft a guy in the second round. Someone just texted in and said, Alex, Mike Evans is a Hall of Famer. You don't want a Hall of Famer?
4: I think Mike Evans is probably a Hall of Famer. Really? Yeah.
3: yeah to be fair, Football Hall of Fame. I mean,
4: it, everybody gets in at some point, but like, I don't know if I would consider him a Hall I don't even know if I'd consider him a top
0: 10 wide receiver right now in the league. So that's the thing that's weird. Did you know he's never had a season in which he did not reach 1,000 yards?
3: He's never reached 1,000 yards? Ne- no, the opposite. Every oh.
0: single season he's been <laughs> in, in the NFL. Oh. I, I, I stated that really poorly. Every season he's been in the NFL, he's reached at least 1000 yards. What's more impressive about that is he's done that with the amount of quarterbacks he's had to go through. Exactly. He he is the Frank Gore of wide receivers in this era. Not a Hall of know. Famer. I don't know that I agree with it. I'm totally with you Alex, but for a decade, I think he's a Hall of at, really good. Every single season he's been somewhere between 1000 yards and 1500 yards. And what and where is value in that even if I think that it's probably not the value of being a Hall of
4: and Famer. And if you believe he's a Hall of Famer, fine. That's your opinion. I would much rather have the Hall of Famer that is Chris Jones than the Hall of Famer that is Mike Evans because that team just won with a non-Hall of Famer and me, Hardman, <laughs> yeah, and Valdez Scantling. No, this man, guy might not. think so.
0: All right, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? It's VK and Ferrario's Questions and Answers on 101 ESPN.
1: Driven by
5: Offenberg Kia in the St. Clair Auto Mall. In Shiloh
0: off I-64. is the Air Comfort Service text line. We're having a Hall of Fame debate here on the show. Uh, Alex is very much out on mike evans as being a hall of famer in the nfl i just
4: love the people that are like oh, go back to hockey alex you don't know what you're talking about you, you should talk about football <laughs> i didn't
0: realize we were gonna open up this window
4: <laughs> you you tell me that th- does this sound consistent to you when i'm gonna pay this guy a lot of money 12 touchdowns three touchdowns 12 touchdowns five touchdowns eight touchdowns eight touchdowns 13 14 6
3: i hate to say this and you're not gonna like this but i won't go as far as to say you should stick to hockey that's like saying, "Look at this guy's wins as a pitcher," because I I think it's the yards that matter most for the wide uh, I receiver. would
4: go touchdowns because
3: the touchdowns can be altered by the fact that he had Jameis turnover Winston <laughs> as his quarterback for I don't even know how many years of his career, and then the, now did, did have it Brady with twelve
4: and thirteen and fourteen with and Baker a, Mayfield but, and Jameis Winston.
3: Yeah, but he had Brady in one of those years, right? What year was Brady? She wasn't was those? Wasn't yeah. Brady twenty nineteen? So, Like yeah, if he has Tom Brady, he's gonna have a bunch of touchdowns. Like he I, had I would eight look touchdowns at yards with Tom Brady. Yeah, but again, he had like Rob Gronkowski. You had. He had uh, fourteen
0: with Jameis Winston. Yeah,
3: turnover slinging a machine. I like the wide the for a would wide you receiver. Consider
0: Travis Kelsey to be consistent, Alex. Yeah, here are his touchdowns: five, five, four, eight, 10, five, 11, nine, 12, 5.
4: But I feel like tight end's a little bit different conversation than he's wide receiver, receiver. right?
0: He's a receiver. Fine, but you also spent a lot of those seasons with Tyree Kill. I, I just think touchdowns as a metric to look at, it it is so inconsistent across the league. There's so much variance in that. I look at yards as my determining factor for consistency. Now, if you want to talk about whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, though, I think it's a more than fair debate. Like, how many receivers from this era are we going to put in? Because there's a lot of them that we will, by the time they're done, look at the numbers and say, well, how could you not in. put them in? Because yeah. DeAndre Hopkins, do we agree he's probably a Hall of Famer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Julio Jones? Probably. Yeah. Devontae Adams? Yeah. Probably. Antonio Brown? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you're technically yeah. not supposed to take into account the off-field yeah. stuff. I, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. He's
3: a Hall of Famer. I don't think he'll get in because of the off-field stuff. Tyree like, Kill, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, A.J. Green,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: Mm, who else would get in? Uh, I mean, now we're getting into some of the younger guys that you'll have to discuss as well, which is the guys that have come in in the last three to five years: Justin Jefferson, uh, Jamar Chase. Like, there's going to be a lot of dudes that we look at at the end of their career because this is the golden age. Cooper Cup. We'll see what happens with him and whether or not he's able to continue with the health side of things, but. This is the golden era of throwing the football, which means that there's a lot more passes to catch, which means the receivers are going to put up crazy yardage. Is Mike Evans really a top five wide receiver from this era? My answer would be no. And if you're not a top five receiver from your era, can you be considered a Hall of Famer? I think they will put him in because of the yardage. I personally have not and would not view him as a Hall of Famer, but... Um, I think the Super Bowl got him in. And I think the fact that he has put up so many yards in so many different years will eventually be the thing that gets him in. All right. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, what do you think are the chances that Stefan Diggs would be traded this offseason? And if he is, do you think the Cowboys could be a landing spot for him? I think they would be the most likely landing spot.
4: I don't know what their money situation looks like.
3: It had to extend Dak first. That'd be the number yeah. one. Thing. And they've got CD Lamb as if, well, that they've got to figure if you're out Buffalo.
4: You can't trade him because if you're if you're winning, who's your wide receiver that you're winning with? I don't know ball, though, so I shouldn't talk about stop.
0: this. <laughs> you got to stop. Gabe that. Davis is probably a Hall of Famer. He's, he's actually a free agent this offseason. Right, he's probably so a Hall, Hall of Famer. Well, dangerous. then the chief, the chief should get him because he's an instant Hall of Famer. So their big problem is if they trade him, they actually don't really save anything against the cap because of the way that his deal is structured right now next year is they're out right now it's kind of hard for them to get out of this contract contracts with stefan Diggs, they would have to get a significant haul like if you're getting a first round pick for Diggs, okay that can make it worth it because you just take the cap hit now and you the first round pick is the value it'd have to be a top 10 pick though right i don't think you're getting that for well that's what i don't think they're getting a first round pick
4: but that's what i'm saying like you can't trade him if you're buffalo thinking you're competing and not get something in return that warrants a top I mean, wide Chiefs receiver. I the
0: Chiefs traded Tyreek Hill for the equivalent of a late first round pick. They didn't get a first round pick in that deal. They got a second. They also had Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey I'm, still. I'm with you. They, they technically, it's not Travis Kelsey, don't get me wrong, but Dalton if, Kincaid. if you're Buffalo, you've got Dalton yeah, Kincaid. Yeah, you don't know Paul, man. They, they've got Khalil Shakir. <laughs> They do Not have other guys. Sure. You, you could technically, if you're Buffalo, trade Diggs and then maybe go sign one of the free agents and draft a guy with the pick that you get for Diggs. Watch
3: them get your boy Mike
0: Evans. <laughs> hey, there you go. Don't know, hey, I don't know Ball. You know? I actually think that would be a great signing for them. I don't think they can make it work. Hall of money-wise. Fame worthy, probably, probably. But, um, yeah, I, I think the most likely scenario is that Diggs ends up. Doing one more year with the bills he
3: serves his time and he then may next not be happy serves of-
0: his time oh my
4: god that was the perfect
3: way to phrase it <laughs> you're that on too. a
4: super bowl contending team and you serve your time yeah, with them josh
3: doesn't give me the ball josh doesn't throw me the ball as much uh, am i wrong though no, no you're not
4: that's that's
0: exactly <laughs> yeah, that's that's where he's at so i i think he's got one more year there in the next season well, buffalo does have shakir like you mentioned so, so. he'll go ahead and, and look to to move on from him all right 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers guys who is the cardinal that you're most excited to see this spring during the spring training games it's pretty obvious right steven Matz. (laughs) katie woo did a piece on this earlier today it's really it's actually a good piece and there's a lot of guys that gave their answers on this from the team like the players said which other player they're most excited to see during spring training action Dylan Carlson's answer, no joke, was Steven Matz. And it made so much sense. Like, everything about that was like, chef's kiss. Nice.
4: Uh, if I had to, I mean, I'm. there's a couple of guys like Mason Wynn, obviously. I'm very interested to see Yvonne Herrera get a little bit of an extended stretch. Like, Is this going to be a, a sincere split this season to where we see close to 80 games for Yvonne Herrera? Or is he just a glorified backup for the team? So I'm very interested to see how his defense and offense kind of translate for consistent stretch of major league time.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, Wayne's the number one guy, of course, because I, you're going to see him in spring and they've been kind of putting, quote unquote, pressure on him that he's got to perform, which seems ridiculous. I, I think Victor Scott's going to be fun to watch because I, I think if Edmund had to start the year on IL and Scott had a great, gr- and I mean great, spring training, I think there's a shot he could make the team out of the bulk or out, out of spring training to opening day it's like a 5% chance but I think it's there so I'd say Victor Scott's probably the guy I'm most excited to see
0: Mason win for me you guys it's not a surprise, but the speed the athleticism the defense everything about it that's that's the guy for me and I was listening to a podcast yesterday we're going to talk about this coming up in the next segment with Derek Gould and he brought up a fair point when was the last time that the Cardinals went into spring training handing a starting spot to a rookie it doesn't happen very often. There have been times where they go in and it's kind of like the fake competition where they're like, oh, he's got to earn it. And you're like, yeah, no, he doesn't. But they very rarely go into spring and just say, yeah, that guy's are, are starting X, Y or Z. Did, didn't they do that with Paul? Was
4: Paul DeYoung considered a rookie after that first season?
0: Um, it, oh, I guess he, played I 108. he technically had it, eligibility. He was that.
4: 108 games. Yeah, so he wasn't. So he wasn't, so wasn't at. Because I mean, he's the first one that I oh yeah because he was in the rookie of the year running three
0: one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service x line. I honestly am trying to think to is myself who the last guy no, was. I don't he think you have to go back that far.
3: And he but, didn't like get handed yeah, the job. He, was, he had to earn it. He hit the crap out of the baseball and yeah, TLR they, was like you know what? But they told him he's had to on the major
0: league level. Yeah, but, that, yeah, but I'm talking after. about going into spring training. Oh, there yeah. is no doubt about it. That guy has a secured starting spot Did on Warren our roster. Get that? I don't think. No, because Matheny right?
4: was there when he was a rookie. Yeah,
0: it and it wasn't Walker because Walker had to earn it last year. And it wasn't Carlson because Carlson had to earn it, even though we all kind of knew he was going to be a starting outfielder for you. What was it? We had to did earn it. Randall Gritchick,
4: Gritchick had to earn it, too, I guess.
0: Right. I feel like he did. And those guys weren't Common as big of a outfielders. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing on this is the Cardinals haven't had very many big time prospects yeah. like this where. They were top 25 prospects that kind of finished the season with the team because you're typically not ending the season the way that they did last year. So you don't get that little cup of coffee. And then next season you come in and it's like, all right, that's why from day one, you're hot. So that's my guy that I'm most excited to see in Springs. How do you respond to that? It's a historic franchise going into a historically important season. And you're 21 years old. Handed the keys to arguably the most valuable position on the team.
3: What could go wrong? Yachty, did go? Did,
4: Yachty didn't even get it handed to him either because back up to Matheny.
3: Yeah, yeah.
4: It's, it's been a long time Damn. since we've seen
0: something like this. All right, coming up next, speaking of that podcast, it's the best podcast in baseball with Derek Gould over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. Earlier today, I was listening to it, and he had Mike Claiborne on. And Alex, he said something interesting about Nolan Arenado and how he fits into everything that the Cardinals are building. want to talk about what that means for Arenado and what that means for Jordan Walker. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: isn't the primary piece to a championship contending team. Alongside Alex and t on BK, that was a point that Mike Claiborne, the Cardinals broadcaster, brought up yesterday on the best podcast in baseball. He continued from there.
2: I think Nolan is a guy that would prefer not to have that spotlight on him because I think he presses, you know, mm-hmm. there were times last year he was squeezing the sawdust out of the bat. Yeah. I think he's a guy that fits in nicely with other players. I don't know if he's a guy that's going to lead you. I think he's a guy is a very healthy compliment. You have him, you have Goldschmidt. Two guys are the bookends to a point. But I think there needs to be somebody parenthetically around them also to, to be able to support what they do because I don't know if they have that sort of
0: makeup. So I find that to be really interesting. And that, again, is courtesy of the Best Podcast in Baseball with Derek Gould. Find it over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. It's, it's well worth your time. The entire thing is worth your listen. Alex, if Arenado is not that primary guy, the Bryce Harper of a lineup, uh, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna Jr., you can go through the legitimate contenders. Hell, even the Diamondbacks. Corbin Carroll is that dude. You can go through all of the contenders across Major League Baseball, and you can point to the guy that you have to circle and that will live up to the hype and live up to the expectations even when the moment becomes the biggest. If Arnato's not that guy, who is that player for the Cardinals? And maybe more importantly, who needs to become that player for the Cardinals? This season? Well,
4: you just said the guy's comparable with the Arizona Diamondbacks, Corbin Carroll with Arizona's that guy. You need it to be Jordan Walker. If, if you're the Cardinals, you've banked on it being Jordan Walker. You've drafted him. You've developed him, although he's not a homegrown talent. You've developed him into a player that you view a superstar. And, The offense has backed it up last season from what you saw in his rookie year. The defense you're hoping can improve to the level that you need it to be. Jordan Walker is the poster child for this Cardinals team of, you need to be the face of this team, and we need your energy. We need your youth. We need your game-changing ability to carry this team beyond where they're at right now.
3: Yeah, I, I think it would be Walker because of what you said. He is kind of the face of the franchise. He's not there yet, but like he's already, what, third or fourth, when you bring up the Cardinals of someone that's going to be mentioned. And I I, I think he's probably the lone guy that's kind of on the younger side. If I had to throw in another, like, I'd call him a wild card into this conversation, but you mentioned, like, the fiery passion, and I think they need a little bit of that from a if they're going to have a leader or a guy that's going to take them to that next step, it would be Contreras. Like, I, I could see where Contreras could become this guy where he's hitting fourth, fifth in your lineup, bringing in, driving in runs, and he's a guy that we've seen perform at the highest levels as well, and though it got off to a weird start last year, he got hot down the stretch. So I would say it's between Walker has to take that next step and get to kind of that level that I think a lot of fans thought he was going to be at last year, and then also Wills Contreras just being the guy that he is and coming in through the clutch.
4: Yeah, I like the Contreras one. I think Contreras was signed for that purpose, to be that kind of vocal and performance leader for the team And obviously last season turned into
0: a soap opera where he couldn't be that guy. So hopefully this is the season that he can flourish. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line from the six one eight. Guys, what is this conversation? Nolan Arenado had thirty homers and a hundred RBIs and a gold glove for each of the last ten seasons. True. Um but there have been moments where it does appear the pressure gets to Nolan Arenado, and if you look at his playoff numbers, listen, I'm somebody that will tell you this is way too small of a sample size. Don't go off of this. I still think Nolan Arenado could absolutely be a playoff performer. However, so far in his career, he has participated in postseason games in four different seasons, and in those four seasons, he has 35 plate appearances. He's five hits.
4: See that though, he, and I know you don't believe in that, but to me, that tells me like he doesn't have that that leadership quality that
0: Clave's is talking about to get his team into a playoff to get more opportunities. Yeah, I think some of that is just like he played for the Rockies, and it's as simple as that. I mean, two of the three years in which he's been here, he's he's been to the postseason. Last year, obviously, everything went to hell, but the two two of the three seasons he was here, he, he went to the postseason. He has a one fifty-two batting average when he gets there. He's got an OPS of three eighty-five. So so far in his Major league career, he has not performed well in the postseason. Again, I think that's extremely fun with small sample size. We know what had happened in the last time that they went there. He hit the ball hard. It just didn't drop. Like, sometimes that stuff happens in the postseason. But if we accept the premise that we started with there from, like, Mike Claiborne, that, hey, maybe this stuff, he he is better as a secondary piece in a lineup where that is a guy and you have somebody else that's the dude, so to speak, in layman's terms. I do think you're right in who that guy needs to be. I think it needs to be Jordan Walker because I, I, at this point, Paul Goldschmidt, and maybe this is just the all encompassing thing, right? It's the off field stuff. It's the interviews. It's being the face of the franchise. It's, it's talking with other players. It's being a leader, all of this different, these different things that was all encompassed with one player in the early two thousands. And his name was Albert Pujols. And when he left for a couple of years, I think it's fair to say Carlos Beltran kind of took on that mantra for the Cardinals. He was a leader inside of the clubhouse. He was a star on the field, and I understand he was towards the end of his career, but he had a lot of that. Matt Holliday became that guy for them. Matt Carpenter eventually was that guy for them. Yadier Molina throughout all of this was that guy for them. Now they don't have any of those players inside of that clubhouse that are at the same level anymore. And if Goldie and Arenado can't be that, and it very clearly is sounding as if that's the case... Maybe Jordan Walker needs to be it. Maybe it needs to be Brendan Donovan. Maybe they don't have that guy in the locker room, and they got to find who that player is, and he's not inside of this clubhouse right now, and he's eventually going to be here via trade or free agency. But whatever it is, they need somebody to step up in that role. They need somebody to be the guy in every possible area of what that means for the St. Louis Cardinals. Hell, maybe it's Sonny Gray. Maybe he's going to be the dude, and for the first time, it's going to be a pitcher. I don't know that you can have that on a baseball team, but maybe that's going to be what it is. But if you accept the premise of what Mike Claiborne is saying, and Claiborne is pretty damn tied in, plugged in with this team, I think the guy that is most likely to take on all of that is probably going to be Jordan Walker. Uh,
4: I I think if it's not Jordan Walker, you put your team in a bad spot in terms of projecting forward. Like, you got to have somebody that projects to be that face of the team that can carry you, and if it's not Jordan Walker, I don't know if you have anybody internally that can match the talent expected for for that player
3: and I I think it's almost a bad thing that if you have to rely on Jordan Walker early on in his career because I I saw today you know we talked I don't know if we brought it up on air yesterday or not Rafael Devers came out and was pretty critical the Red Sox front office Rafael Devers said yesterday hey man I don't really want to be in a leadership role he's he's not necessarily all that experienced. he's got a decent resume in the big leagues but like you're relying on a second year guy to all of a sudden step in and say Jordan Walker, you have to become the leader. That almost feels like you're putting him in a tough spot. And that's why, like, I, I and I hate the whole leadership conversation, but if that's the case, you almost need a more of a veteran presence to take that. And that's why, yep. like, I kind of throw Contreras' name into this. I actually think Goldie can end up being this guy. It wouldn't be a vocal leader, but I, I think he can be that guy for the St. Louis Cardinals. I think you're asking way too much for Jordan Walker to, in year two to say, go be that guy.
0: I think that's correct. And I think that signifies that you're more than one year away from being the team that you want to be. Because if Jordan Walker's going to be that guy, that's probably not in 2024. Like That that probably doesn't take place until, like, 2026. And this is the conversation we always used to have. I remember BT, I can't remember what the exact year was. It might have been 2026. BT said on the fast lane, it was like a year or so ago, where he's like, hey, the year that you should be circling – it was either 2025 or 2026. That's when the Cardinals are going to be at their best. And the reason why was because that's when Goldie comes off the books. That's when you're going to have some money to spend. It's when Jordan Walker should become the full version of himself. Nolan Gorman, Nolan, or, uh, Alec, Burleson, or Alec Burleson and Brendan Donovan and Lars Newpar. Like all of these guys will be fully developed. Mason Wynn fully developed into whatever he's going to be. The pitching should be fully arrived at that point in time. And now you've got the fully formed version of what you think the Cardinals are going to be, but at the time I was like, "Dude, it's it's 2022. What do you mean we got to wait four years to be able to see that version of the Cardinals?" He he might end up being right. It might be a situation where you just had to be patient. Coming up next, Chris Kirk with the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The it's time for curbside with the voice of the blues chris kerber brought to you by scott lee heating company a proud mitsubishi electric elite
4: contractor
0: for the Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. Curb, some big news for the Blues yesterday. They decided to put uh, Justin Falk on LTIR, Scott Perunovich on IR. We'll get to him here in just a moment. And call up the young man, Zach Bolduke. He was uh, skating earlier today with Jake Neighbors and Braden Shin. What'd you think of where they put him in the lineup and his big call up to the NHL?
5: Well, that was my first question coming into today was going to be where do you enter him into the lineup? Because for whatever reason, like in the National Hockey League, and it's been this way for decades, you get a player that you expect to add some higher-end skill to your lineup, and you bring him up to the NHL, and you say, well, you got to earn your way up the lineup, and you start him on the fourth line. And then you go, okay, well, over five games, well, he hasn't really produced yet six minutes a game and checking situations. That, that, that's not the way this is going. You had to ask yourself, why BK, did they call him up? You've got some guys struggling offensively. You've got some guys in some long point droughts, some some long goal droughts. But these are guys that are expected to produce, especially in your top six. So you in the hope, your goal is to start key, is to keep him down there as long as you can. But I think situations up here said, ah, we gotta see if maybe we could add a spark here. And putting him on that line with Beavers and Shen, I think is fantastic. You know what you're gonna get from Jake? You know what you're gonna get from Braden? And in talking to Zach Bolduc, as I did just uh, well, probably about 15 minutes ago, you know, he, he's excited to play with those guys and knows that, if, that he's got to bring the work boots if he's going to keep up with
4: them. Curbs, one thing that I've, I've heard about Bolduc's play in Springfield so far this season is that he has put so much more of an emphasis on his two-way game, the defensive side of the puck, whereas if a fan looks at his numbers, they'll say, well, he has not scored a lot of goals down in the minors. How much of an emphasis on that side of his game played into the decision of putting him up at the NHL?
5: I don't know. It's a good question, Alex, and I haven't had a chance to talk to Doug Armstrong about that yet. Um, the, the, there's there's a couple of aspects, he, and a topic that, I, I, I again, I just talked to him about. He, he goes, man, knowing I was going to score. At some point in time, I was going to get the puck, and I know I was going to get a scoring chance, and that would lead to an assist or whatever. He goes, and when that's the case, you're not really thinking defensive side of the puck or the other end of it. But he goes, pro hockey, you can't survive if you do that way. And so the emphasis by the Blues on that part of his game actually started a year ago. He said he was constantly being talked to by Patrick Waugh about it, who ironically is going to be <laughs> the head coach of the Islanders in tomorrow's game. That's a cool wrinkle.
0: Yeah.
5: it is. And and then he goes, but he said he said he's he's uh. Patrick Waugh talked to him. He says Patrick Waugh was talking to the blues about it. So he felt like there was a connection and message being sent even from the blues to Patrick Waugh to him while he was playing his last year in, in junior hockey. And then this year, you know, it was, he said Drew Bannister was constantly talking to me after shifts after period show me video. He said he was really supportive. He said he was a, a good coach to play for. He's glad that he was his first pro coach and so he's excited to play this game for him tomorrow. Um, But in asking him about that, I said, how hard was it as an offensive player to know that you're focusing on that and it was going to cost you offense and yet you feel like a job to produce? He said at the very beginning, it was really hard. It was hard to just not want to go do what you had done before, but you realize you had to do the other things. And then his quote to me was, but look, he goes, Eventually, you get better, you get better at it, you get better at it. He says, I think I've gotten a lot better at it than I was. And over the last couple weeks, it's led to more offense. And, guys, that's the thought process that you wanted to see click. And you got to be excited that maybe it has.
0: We're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, a day after the Blues called up one of their top prospects, Zachary Bolduc, going to be making his debut for the Blues tomorrow night against the Islanders. As Kerb said, one of the cool wrinkles in that one is that his former juniors coach, Patrick Waugh, is going to be on the bench as the head coach of the New York Islanders going up against him in this one. Curbs, what do you think this opportunity means for Bull Duke? Like, what, what is at stake for him, and what is at stake for the Blues with his performance over these next 5, 10, 15, however many games?
5: Well, and, and shoot, who knows? Could just be one, too, right? I sure. mean, so the point there being is, if you're Zach Bullduke, you're not thinking about anything other than one shift. Right now he's thinking about, holy cow, how do I get to the rink?
0: Right, what about us for about, the rest of us on the yeah, outside that are watching?
5: Yeah. Yeah, don't be late. Don't be late to the rink, and then it's and then it's uh, and then it's his first shift, and you know, and then it's getting through that, and then being talked to, and then just kind of getting comfortable along those kind of lines. Look, if he shoots the puck and a couple go in, he could be here for a little while, right? I mean, it, it's up to him, and it's a topic that you guys have talked about. We we've talked a lot about it. Do you take advantage of your opportunity? And it doesn't mean that he's going to have to score a hat-trick to stay in the NHL right now. What it means is you've got to play a certain way. You've got to play hard. You've got to bring energy and find a way to help be productive. And maybe that's maybe it's neighbors getting goals, Shen getting goals, him picking up some helpers, whatever it may be. It's just taking advantage of that opportunity that you're given. The flip side to your question, Brandon, is... It, it, it also sends a message to several other guys, I got to think, in that locker room. You know, Sammy Blay, Nikita Alexandrov, and in and out of the lineup, right? You just called up a 20-year-old kid, which moves Kasper and Kapanen out of the top six. Things along those kind of lines, right? It's, it's not Brandon Saad moving up into the top six. It's not, it, it's not that kind of thing. So when you call a guy like that up and you put him in the top six, I got to think that there's a message sent to everybody that says we need more as a group and we're going to do what we need to to find it. So um, I I hope he comes in and just has a really solid first memorable game in the NHL. Because in the end, win, lose, or draw, you only get one crack at that one. And I'm, I'm thrilled for him.
4: Speaking of messages, Curbs, and I don't know if any message has been sent to Scott Pernovich, but if he gets back in the lineup after the injury, and it was an unfortunate one because he blocked a shot, which is what kept him out. But if he gets back, is this kind of the final stretch for Scott Pernovich to kind of prove himself as an everyday top six defenseman?
5: Uh, maybe. The reason I say maybe is it's like, I mean, it, it, it could... De- a lot could depend, say, on the trade deadline uh, for for him uh, uh, other aspects of uh, other aspects of of what you know it could could be, for example, uh, if he doesn't if he if he plays every game from tomorrow to the rest of the season, and drew Bannister did say he could be a game time decision, right? If he plays every game from now to the to the rest of the season, uh, you're you're looking at a scenario where he becomes a group two free agent again okay if he misses three more games i believe it's then he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year now he's not thinking that part so much right but you know everybody else around him knows so i'm not exactly sure how to fully answer that alex because I think so much just depends on what do the blues end up doing with their other defensemen, even if it's an off season if he, if he stays group two and you control his rates, what do you do? If he becomes a UFA, you know what do you do? one thing about Scotty Perunovic and his coach told us this when we first drafted him he's a loyal kid. he understands the opportunity um, you know if that opportunity presents itself because of a trade of another man, like the one thing the Blues don't have a lot of depth in it's defense right now so Um, he's another one that uh, I can't really predict the future on this one, but, you just want to see him get in there and find a way to keep playing well like he was before he got hurt.
0: He's Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the Blues. You'll hear him tomorrow night on the call for Blues versus Islanders. This should be a fun one. Pre-game with Alex starts at 6. Kerbs and Joe have the call starting tomorrow at 7 o'clock. That's all right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for moving things around a little bit for us today. We've got a City player coming up at 1.30. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. You got
5: it, guys. Have an awesome weekend. Absolutely.
0: Same to you. That's Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Like I said, we moved him normally. He's Wednesdays at 130. Today we, of course, were able to talk with him at 1215. And the reason why we did so is because Jose Kajima is going to join us coming up at 130, the man that scored the goal that won the game for your st louis city sc soccer team last night he's going to join us coming up at one thirty. the man signed his contract his pro contract with city yesterday in the morning and then by the end of the night had a game winner that's one hell of a day if you ask me
4: but it wasn't an mls game though Correct. It was a Concacaf matchup.
0: Concacaf. Yeah. How, how do you pronounce it? Why am I? Concacaf. Concacaf. Somebody Konka-kaf. said earlier today that I was pronounc- mispronouncing it. I, I think oh, that I that's the question. Konka- Konka- I, I was going to say. I've
4: always heard Bill McDermott, who I always think is like one of the most intelligent soccer people in St. Louis. He's he always pronounced it as
0: Concacaf. Okay. Yeah. I'm just making sure. I that's right. I mean, I felt if like it's I, wrong, then I've been saying it wrong my whole life. <laughs> maybe line. I was mispronouncing it uh, again. I'm, we're all learning on the fly here. So the Concacaf game that they played last night, uh, he had the game-winning goal. It's not technically an MLS game. This weekend is their first MLS game. We'll see if he's a part of that. All right. Coming up next. So the college football playoff is going to a 12 team playoff this upcoming season, but they are going to have five automatic qualifiers from the power five conferences. This is going to be a riddle for you. Do what? you guys know who that fifth conference is? <laughs> what? Because the PAC 12 no longer exists. We'll tell you next year on 101 on ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: I'm Alex and on BK. So the college football playoff has decided what their format is going to be moving forward, at least for right now. You know, this could change at any given time. They're going to do a five plus seven model. Alex, what is what does that equal? Twelve. It's a 12-team playoff. And what they mean by the five portion of this... Cakewalk. ...is five conference champions. Sweet. Now, when this was originally proposed, there were five power conferences. So you'd have the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, and, of course, the Pac-12. All right, Well, since the Pac-12 has dissolved, there are now four power conferences. So the way that they're wording this is going to be interesting for the foreseeable future. Now... Typically, the way that this will work is your four power conference champions plus a group of five champion will be automatic qualifiers to that year's college football playoff. But if there is a season in which one of the power five conferences doesn't have a great team, which does happen at times, especially like an ACC or Big 12, it's an off year, weird season. There's a bunch of them that have two losses and you've got a couple of group of five teams that go undefeated. It's possible you get multiple group of five champions that actually end up being automatic qualifiers based on being ranked above like the Big 12 champion. Right. So if a team from the American and a team from the Mountain West are champions of their leagues and they are ranked ahead of the Big 12 champion, for example, those two teams would get in. Does that make sense, Alex? Am I confusing you? No, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So the three highest rated champions. So you're basically from the SEC, a ACC, pool of everybody
4: else. And then the best sense. teams from those other teams. All
0: of them are in a pool. Every single conference is in a pool. And then we get to the champions. And then you just pluck the five highest ranked champions. All
4: right. Lindenwood from the Ohio Valley Conference. There you go.
0: L-U-L-U-L-U. Let's go Lions! Well, that's Let's go Lions!
4: That's There's going to be a game that's hosted Same right thing. in my backyard. Oh, I'll my rinse gosh. out
0: my house for Airbnb.
4: Well, why would you do that? You have a little kid. Make money. Kicked out. Oh, that's smart. Never mind. You're right. I'll come stay with you for the night. Yeah, no.
0: (laughs) So the college football playoff is new that now this five plus seven format. I Actually like it, guys. I spent the night kind of ruminating in this and thinking to myself, could they have done this a different way? And the answer is probably yes. They could have just gone to the four conference champions from the power conferences. And then you get the eight at large bids, right? I do like the idea, though, that, hey, man. If you're one of these teams like Oregon State or Washington State, for example, that are now a part of the Mountain West. And there's so many other teams, of course, that are part of the group of five. If you have an excellent season and you finish the year ranked pretty high, I think you should get in automatically. I want to see those teams get the opportunity. The whole idea of having this 12 team playoff instead of a, a four team playoff. Is that you have these chances for these smaller schools? Part of what makes the NCAA tournament so great is you get these Cinderella stories that get in and you're like, whoa, hold on here. Fairly Dickinson is going on a run? That's. UMBC is beating Virginia? Really? Dickinson's beating Mizzou? That's not hey. gonna happen often. Chinois'
4: oh, losing to Loyola. Lehigh,
0: at the same day Good that God. Mizzou is losing to <laughs> Norfolk State, is beating Duke? That's awesome. Yeah, take the headlines away from us. <laughs> Those are something that you want to have as a part of this. I don't want to have it as one of four, but one of 12. Absolutely. I'm I'm down for that. So I think they actually ended up getting this right, even though it came from a weird way.
4: Yeah, I mean, it. it it's definitely exciting if you're fans of these teams that, you know, in the past haven't even been able to talk about this. And now if your team's great, you have an opportunity to put yourself in the conversation. My only issue with this is, like, what if we're talking about, it's like 11 or 12 teams. Like, we can act like it's a Cinderella story, but, man, football is different than basketball if you're talking about a Cinderella team that gets in and takes on one of the more dominant teams in terms of power conferences in college football, right? Like yeah. The excitement's there, but when you get to the playoffs, it's like, okay, it's kind of a throwaway game.
3: Yeah, I... I do worry a little bit about that, but I think as we've seen recently, the talent in college football is kind of more dispersing more to where there is no more like dominant. Transfer portals really are going to be good, more fun. And, and I think like now there is some juice to these games. Like think of the Mount West. Who played in the Mountain West Conference Championship game this year? You have no idea, and neither do I. I asked yeah. that question because I knew none of us I would know. I couldn't
4: name two teams in the Mountain West. Now,
3: now it matters Fresno State. Yeah. yeah. Boise, Boise State. Boise State, Colorado no State, who nearly beat so Colorado the this
4: state, year. So it's a lot of the state
3: teams. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. <laughs> sure. Indiana uh, State. But uh, no, I, no, I, I like this because now there's more juice in those non-power five conference championships. Because now, like, even though like most of the conference championships end up having ranked matchups, like the Mountain West, uh, the MAC, for example, you're not watching How about the that American in the this past formula? season.
0: SMU versus Tulane. That was a huge game, potentially. Tulane almost beat Ole Miss this year. Yeah, and and if it had these kind of stakes on the line, it would have mattered a lot when those two teams met head-to-head. So that's the kind of thing that suddenly takes on more importance. Now, that is what's getting a lot of the headlines today. It shouldn't be, guys. That's not actually what's interesting to me about the new college football playoff format. What I find to be interesting is what it means in terms of where these teams are slotted. Did you see how they're going to rank these teams? So it's not actually done by the rankings. It's not that you just automatically get into the playoffs. Because why would you rank you it by the champions. rankings? If you are a champion of those, the, the top four champions will be ranked one through four in this new playoff format. So they get the buy. They are then just basically put into the actual playoff. They're not hosting a game like, you know, the first round is going to be offsite. It'll be at your school. Um, If you're hosting for five through eight, I guess it would be. They are going to avoid that round. The champions get to go on. You know who this really screws? Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not technically a part of a conference. (laughs) And so Notre Dame, when this all comes to be, will not be eligible for a top four spot in the college football playoff. The best they can do in any given year until they join a conference, according to these rules. Is they will be the fifth seed. So they could go 12-0 and 0 next year. I hope they go undefeated. Every single game in which they play. And they will be a five seed hosting in the first round of the playoff. Hosting the 12 seed. Because they did not lock up. Or actually, actually the sixth seed. Um, they did not lock up one of the top four seeds. By virtue of not having played in a conference championship Couldn't game. You argue so that it's... I find to be really interesting. They could be the number one ranked team in the country. And would be sixth. In the initial college football playoff, right, could you well, argue that's
4: like a slight benefit for them though?
0: No, because like, zero benefit whatsoever.
3: You get to host a college football playoff game, but like,
4: but then
0: beyond yeah, revenue-wise, it matter. sure that's great. Yeah. But you don't get the advantage of having the buy. It's like yeah. playing in the wild card round in Major League Baseball. Like, could you kind get a? love that. Yeah, uh, sure. Could you get <laughs> an advantageous money. draw? Sure, you could is it better than getting the buy? No, absolutely not. Because any football game is like a 60, 40 proposition one way or the other, especially when you get to that point of the season where you're playing against the best of the best, man. Like I'll have to take a look at who the 12th ranked team in the country was one at Mizzou it, <laughs> yeah, basically. So yeah, last year they could have had to play a team like the university of they Missouri in the first round of the playoff. Would've That's lost. not an easy draw for anybody no. or Ole Miss, for example, like, those are not an easy matchup for a Notre Dame in the first round of the playoff.
3: Yeah, and, and I think what this all leads to, and I'm not even sure if they meant to do this, but it's going to lead to, I think Notre Dame's going to be in the Big Ten. Like we, We've all talked about it. You're going to get two power conferences. It's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC. Who knows what happens to the ACC and the Big 12 in the future. Like I don't even think those conferences have much um, oomph to them anymore. But I think it's going to lead to Notre Dame being in the Big Ten in like three years. And they were rumored to be talking with the Big Ten or the ACC one or the other. Recently, so I think what Notre Dame's going to do, yeah, they're getting screwed now. This is the last straw. They need to yep. go join a conference. They've got, they've got to get in the Big Ten. Yeah, they, they've got to join the Big Ten, and I, I think that's what they're going to ultimately do. I think this is going to be Ten. the last
0: straw as well for a lot of teams in the ACC that jump over to the Big Ten as well. Because once Notre Dame does it. They're, gonna, they're not going to have just one team that joins the Big Ten. Somebody else will be coming with them. My guess is it'll probably Clemson. be, yeah, like a team or like Florida Clemson, State Florida State. This will be the next thing that spurs whatever the next version of conference realignment is, is these rules that were taking place. Because Notre Dame's going to look at these and be like, all right, fine. Like, we play in a conference in basketball, it's it's time for us to go ahead and do this for football
3: as well. I, I would say, though, like, I, I could see where it holds off a little bit on, like, a Clemson and a Florida State, because you still do have that power. Like, they're going to get a bye in the playoff, and Clemson should mop through that ACC. Like, they, it may hold them off a little bit to where it's not immediately, oh, there goes Notre Dame, oh, here comes Clemson. It may be a while before they decide to jump. But I, I think you're right. Ultimately, they will get there. But I don't know if it'll be as fast as we're thinking.
0: Man, people are saying that I'm wrong on this. Guys, I, I'm i willing to admit when I'm wrong, I'm not on this. Like, if you want to go into the college football playoff with playing that extra game, you're essentially giving yourself an extra 50-50 proposition of flip a coin. Flip a coin one time and see if you get it right. Now flip it one more time. See if you get it right again. Now say, OK, would you, if you got it right those first two times, would you like to go ahead and be done? and you collect this $100, or try it one more time to get the exact same $100, you would, of course, just stop there, right? Because you're stopping while you're ahead. I already got the two, the flip of the coin correct twice in a row. I'm not going to take my chances with another one of those. That is essentially what the college football playoff is. Can you flip the coin correctly three times in a row? And if I told you, hey, there is a way to not have to flip it three times, but instead only two, only two flips of the coin, You'd rather have that opportunity. And what I'm telling you is there's one one team that's basically eligible for the college football playoff, because due respect to the service academies, I it's very rare that they're gonna be playing in a situation where they would be they would be in a situation where they'd be part of the college football playoff. But for Notre Dame, the team that is every year in talks for this kind of a thing, this is something that they are the one team that is essentially excluded from it. So yeah, this matters a a lot for Notre Dame. And it matters in a big, big way for college football in general. I, I I don't love the fact that they put the conference champions one through five, personally. I think they should be immediately into the college football playoff, but they should be put in with the rankings. Oh,
3: see, I, it, I, I like that they put it this way, because now there is the incentive to go win the conference championship because you are getting the bye. Otherwise, it's just another football game that really probably doesn't matter. You know, like if Alabama-Georgia meet in the SEC title game, and like this year, where... That game mattered. why because it determined who got into the playoff. But if it was a 12 team playoff, that game doesn't have any juice for the SEC title, you know. And they'll tell you it does. I don't think it really does though, because there's no there's no risk reward, you know. You win. No, no, that's what I'm saying. That's where it is the reward now.
0: Yeah, yeah, but if the risk reward would be if you win the game, you're you're one of the top four. Yeah, and that's what. But I'm saying without the conference champions being like, if I'm Georgia and I'm going up against Alabama, we're both undefeated, right? If we go by the ranking system again, the way that it has been for the previous you know decade or whatever that we've been doing the college football playoff, the winner of that game will be in the top four. The loser of that game very likely drops out of the top four. So it still has a lot of stakes there, but it's not guaranteeing that the winner of the Big 12, which might be the 10th best team in the country, is a top four team now and earns a buy because they won a mediocre conference. The second best team in the SEC and the Big Ten next year as we saw this year, the Pac-12, for example, very well may both be top four teams in the country. I, I don't think that you should suddenly then be taken back into the 6 through 12 region of what we're talking about with the college football playoff. But that's going to be what it is. You might be a top four team, top five team, but because you didn't win your conference next year, you will be relegated to playing in the first round and of I the actually college like football that.
3: playoff. I, uh, I, I kind of feel like that's beneficial. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it adds to the SEC title game because if you win, you get the bye. To your point, and if you lose, you have to play round one. Yeah. It adds
0: to the SEC title game. I, I think it's the same. I actually don't think it changes the SEC title game at all. It potentially adds to the Big Twelve title game and it adds to the ACC title game. Teams that otherwise wouldn't be in play for the top four. So if you care about that more than the teams that are actually better getting those bye weeks, it does add some juice to those conference championship and that's games. That's what I, I suppose. Want. Um, But I just want the best teams getting by. So I guess it depends on what you're looking for there. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Alex has a tinfoil theory. I'm excited for this one, Alex, on what Zach Boldu getting up to the NHL level right now means for the Blues in the long term. Coming up next, though, we're diving into the junk drawer with some interesting comments earlier today by J.J. Reddick here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario
5: brought to you by fenton bar and grill best trashed wings in missouri dine in carry out seven days a week
0: the junk drawer guys earlier today jj reddick posted i I thought an interesting thought on first take not something that happens every day but there was an interesting discussion that was had Shots so if you missed it (laughs) yesterday jj reddick had a a pretty hot take on doc rivers where he essentially said hey it's always somebody else's fault doc rivers never takes responsibility for anything And it got a ton of play. Remember
4: when Doc Rivers was like the most desirable coach in the NBA, the Boston Celtics? Everyone was like, I
0: want him. Uh, Still must be done. He just brought him back. That's right. So he puts that out there and people go nuts over it, right? One way or the other, everybody had an opinion on it. And so it gets millions of views and it's the talk of Twitter all day long. Way to go, JJ. So today, JJ Redick is back on First Take and he's talking about that clip going viral and how he views himself in sports media. Here's what he had to say. Since when is it players jobs to educate people on basketball? When did that become a thing? When did that become a thing? Isn't that our job? It's our job, Stephen A, to educate people on basketball. It's our job, and here's the reality. This is the ecosystem we live in. I can do a video on my podcast.
2: I break down
0: the last nine games the Pelicans have used Zion Williamson as the primary ball handler and what type of actions that has led to. I looked it up this morning, 54,000 views on YouTube, but I want to call out a coach yesterday.
5: Oh, that gets tens of millions of engagements. That's the ecosystem we live in. So do fans actually want to be educated or not? Mm -hmm. Do they? So
0: I do think fans want to be educated. I, I, I really do, but I think we have segmented media and I'm curious you guys thoughts on this and three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line or YouTube chat youtubecom slash one oh one ESPN that's where the graveyard is I think media has become so segmented that people go to specific places for that and when you do it it's almost become like investigative journalism which is super important but is when you look at like what do newspapers cut first what do big publications cut first a lot of the times it is their investigative reporters why Because they're expensive it takes a really long time to produce those pieces they typically are very long in terms of what is read and the numbers in terms of clicks and downloads and every it's not as big but it's really important work and it gets stuff done that is necessary and so like there are people that are doing incredible work film work nate tice i think does an amazing job for the athletic and he does it for yahoo there are some people that are doing it for the ringer right now ben solak And uh, they got another guy over there, Steven Ruiz, who does really awesome work. There's some people at ESPN that do great work. Uh, Matt Bowman specifically is awesome with it. The same thing is true for every sport. Whatever it is that you watch or listen to or read, there is probably somebody out there that's doing amazing work right now, breaking down the X's and O's of your sport, breaking down the numbers of your sport. But you have to go find it. And for people that are going to first take, for better or worse, they're not going there for that, man. They're going there for sports entertainment, Yeah, they're going there for the takes and they're going there for quote unquote hot takes. And that's what our media has become. It is very segmented. And what ends up getting rewarded nowadays is stuff like what Stephen A does. You can love it. You can hate it. I've got my thoughts on it, certainly. But that's where we have arrived with sports media in general. So I, I do find it interesting. And I think there is a real conversation to be had. I'm not sure JJ Reddick came to the, the correct, in my opinion, conclusion. Where do you fall on this stuff? Alex?
4: I, I think there's a segment of people that are out there that still want to be educated on, on certain elements of sports. But I, I think you nailed it. I think a lot of this is entertainment purposes. People people want to be entertained for the short sample size that they have when they're on their phones or when they're clicking on something, when they're listening to us. They want to be entertained because it's a it's a getaway from where they're at but i also think we're starting to see more of a, a segmented population in terms of media coverage that want to be entertained but they want you to say what they want to say like there there's a lot of there's a lot of i want to argue with somebody and i don't know why that is but it's a lot of i want to be entertained but if you're not going to say what i believe is true then i want to argue about it and some of that is entertainment for people. Some of that is an opportunity to just go back and forth. And like, you're sitting at a bar talking with people specifically in sports. But I, I just don't believe that when it comes to media coverage, whether it's on the television or the radio side, I don't believe people really have that desire to be educated about the sport as much as they used to. I think if it is education,
0: it's edutainment. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of putting it. I think Jamie's pretty good about this, Alex. I think you do this a lot as well. Um, I, I think some of the best in the business at this, I think Ryan Clark is amazing at this on television is he'll get up on the board. He'll show you something and you're learning about the sport, but he does it in a way that is so interactive and so like entertaining and energetic that it doesn't feel like you're going through a math class, right? It doesn't feel like you're going through physics.
4: And you're educated every day in your life with work, with family, with everything. You just want to get away from it. it. Yeah, and,
0: and you might not know it. Like, that when you're giving your kid vegetables, right? Sometimes they don't want the vegetables, so you hide it in other stuff. And that's essentially what it's become is, here, I'm going to give you all this stuff, these takes, right? But in it, I'm going to kind of hide the fact that I'm actually trying to educate. Now, it might not end up working. You might hate it. You might reject it, whatever. But it's going to be kind of in there. And and one of the things that I with our show i don't know if we do a good job of it or not but one of the things that i like to do is hey we're gonna have takes on this show that's part of what drives the conversation it will be driven by information and that is something that i do analytics think... <laughs> analytics no! that's no! not what i said <laughs> that's done, <laughs> right no whether it is something that we have observed something that yes does come from numbers at times what? something that comes from something that we have been told information from people sources whatever like that is what drives the to- the talking point and i do think sometimes on a on a television station and channel or whatever Just like first, first take, take. <laughs> Sometimes it's not driven by information. A lot of the time, what they're saying is just driven for outrage. And that stuff drives me bonkers. Every day, their top five list. That's what it's for. That (laughs) stuff drives me bonkers. It's not driven by anything other than let's get as much interaction as possible. Let's get as much outrage as possible. That is what we're doing. Sometimes whatever side you're on, some of the cable television news stuff does some of that where it's like, hey, that's just factually inaccurate. What you're saying right now is not true. And they just put it out there because it's chum in the water Mm -hmm. and people eat it up. And so I've gone off on a little bit of a diatribe here. But I, I think we have become so segmented in the way that we consume media that J.J. Redick is actually probably right in some way of what he's doing and what people want from that show. But he's also well compensated because he's going on that show. So do you want to do that, JJ, or not? That, that kind of becomes a question that you have to answer for yourself.
4: It's interesting how it's worked, too, because when I was younger and I would watch sports on television or listen to it on the radio, like, I did that for entertainment purposes. Like, I used to love Ken Wilson because I thought Ken Wilson was so entertaining on the broadcast. A lot of people love listening to Mike Shannon because Mike Shannon was entertaining on the broadcast. Now it feels like it flicked to where coverage surrounding the team is all about the entertainment and people want to be educated on the play-by-play side of it does it does it does it am i off on that that's why because when i watch when you mention
3: jj for example i think the spot for him to educate is when he's on games exactly when
4: i watch football i go like i love being educated it's why i like listening to the manning cast so much because i feel like i learn whereas when it comes to football I like to be entertained with the conversation
0: that's surrounding it. It's interesting because, like, when I think about my favorite football people, I, I try to learn from them. Like, Ryan Clark's one of my favorites. I find him entertaining, don't get me wrong, but the reason that I go to him is because I feel like he knows things that I don't know. And I want to learn those things from him, yeah. and I feel like he's one of the people that actually does a good job of breaking it down for the common fan to be able to understand. And I'm including myself. But I in think that that's
4: everybody's favorite. Like I think those are the guys that everyone gravitates towards. But then when people are gravitating elsewhere, they're gravitating towards the guys that are entertaining. Sure. You know, I I totally agree with that. Because
0: it's very. Fun. I mean, think about the podcast, the the TV shows, whatever that are gaining the most momentum right now. Like you look at Barstool. Say what you will about them, right, wrong, and different, whatever. They're they're not doing it because of information. They're not doing it because they're breaking down the game. It's entertainment. People are live watching
4: people watching sports betting on them. I also think that is
0: part of what's happening specifically with this JJ Redick thing. Tell me if you guys disagree with this. I think a lot of people consume NBA stuff without watching the games in a way that I'm not sure that it exists with other sports. I think people consume NBA stuff for the drama, the player transactions, all of that stuff as much as they do actually enjoying watching the basketball games well, nowadays. I,
3: I think with the NBA, I think what, what ha- has happened, and I think the NBA created this problem themselves, is it's all about the playoffs and then the transactions. So what happens yeah. when you're in the midst of an 82-game regular season or, hell, a play-in tournament? You don't care. Like, you'd rather hear the hot take of Doc but Rivers as a different than
0: any other American sport, in my opinion. Like, I don't know that that exists. I don't think there's a lot of people that are listening to MLS content but not watching the games, Right. I'm not sure there's a lot of people that are listening to a ton of football content for the NFL side of things without ever watching well, NFL games. On and TV. I think it's
3: just because the NBA regular season has been so watered down. I think there's a lot it, of truth it showed, to it. they I mean, the NBA's shown there's not much importance to it. Twenty of thirty get in the playoffs. Yeah. Think about that. Guys are arguing. I just saw Jalen Brown's like, "Hey, that 65 game requirement for an MVP. What if we moved it to 58?" And okay. It feels
0: like the players playing basketball don't like basketball. No,
3: it's like they don't want to do it until it comes now, to the now playoffs. All right, oh, coming up oh, to minutes, let
0: Let's play a game. Of more likely to happen. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. That's coming up at 1:15. But next. Alex has a tinfoil on why Bull Duke is here and what it means for the Blues in the long haul. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast
2: presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alongside Alex and t and I'm BK. Coming up here in about 20 minutes, Jose Kajima. Is going to join the show. He is the man, if you're not familiar, that sent the game-winning goal into the back of the net as the Blues—God dang it— as St. Louis City SC wins last night in the CONCACAF game that they played. Not an MLS game, CONCACAF game. They have their first MLS game coming up this weekend. Former first-round pick by St. Louis City SC. He ends up signing his contract yesterday at the beginning of the day and by the end of the day has his first game-winning goal in his pro career. So we'll talk to him coming up at 1.30. Tell all your friends he will join us coming up at 1.30. But Alex, we got to get to a tinfoil Ferrario. We haven't done one of these in a hot minute. No. Yesterday was announced by the Blues that they're going to have Zachary Bolduc coming up to the NHL roster. And now he's going to be playing with Braden Shin and Jake Neighbors on the second line. And that means that it is time for a tinfoil Ferrari. Do
4: we, do we have this open still?
0: Like, can you go I mean, into the
4: cupboard and find it?
0: There's cobwebs
4: over there. Get get the bats out of there. Here here we go. Okay. The
2: new world order. 5G cell phone towers taking over the world. Microchips in your bloodstream. And... Earth is actually flat. Sure. Ferrario, don't forget the tinfoil hat. Gosh, is it's policing four of
4: not I haven't heard that in a while, and woof, am I right, ladies and gentlemen? I kid, I
0: kid, I think. No, he I, doesn't. He might.
4: No, he doesn't. All right, so here's my tinfoil with this. I was thinking of this last night. While BK is contemplating the Power 5 conferences, I'm thinking about stuff that really <laughs> matters. You call up Zachary Bolduc and we got a ton of texts yesterday that were saying, are, are the Blues showcasing them for the trade deadline? And I said, you're not doing that in two weeks for a prospect. If anything, you'd keep him in the minors. What I wonder if they're doing, are they trying to figure out if Zachary Bolduc can provide what they already have in Jordan Cairo? Explain that. We've talked about this in a lot this season. And specifically, you've come to the realization, BK, that like they're concerned a little bit about it. The Toronto Maple Leafs, the Nashville Predators game. He continued to drop in lines. Zachary Bolduc was drafted because he was a what goal scoring forward mm-hmm. Jordan Cairo you want to be that goal scoring forward now look I understand the premise of scoring in the minors considering scoring in junior hockey compared to the NHL are very different entities but if you've grown frustrated and you pay the money to a Jordan Cairo and you say you're supposed to be a top line winger he has not provided that for you yet you bring up a Zachary Bolduc to see if he can provide you five on five offense and give you more of what Jordan Cairo has not this season. You've got Jimmy Snuggerud coming by the end of this season. And you have a decision to make with Pavel Buchnevich. We've talked a lot about it to where you, I don't know if you have three guys that are worth $8 million as top line players. If you get to that point, and let's just go down the hypothetical path together again, tinfoil, no reporting here. Let's go down the path that Zachary Bolduke shows you. Kind of what Jordan Cairo did in that first half season that he played with the Blues to where it's like, damn, this guy has got speed off of the rush. He can shoot the damn puck and he creates offense for us. If you feel like the trajectory is there for Bull Duke and he fares well in 20 games in the NHL, Jimmy Snuggerud comes up at the end of the season and you say, damn, this guy's got some offense as well. Do you go into the offseason and say, all right, we got goal scoring from our wingers with these two young players. We're kind of resetting the clock on rookie contracts. We've got one guy that we got to look at and say, who's getting $8 million as a top line player for us? I I, I don't know if any of this is possible. They might laugh in my face. But if Zachary Boldu comes up and shows you the offense that you're hoping Jordan Cairo was at consistently, don't you go into the offseason and say, maybe we
0: see what else is out there. And keep some of the guys we got adding to your tinfoil next year is the final year of Jordan Cairo's contract in which he does not have a no trade clause. Mm-hmm. After that, the no trade clause fully kicks in where it is a 15 team, no trade clause. Um, Right. Is that yeah. right? So yeah, it sounds right. I, I don't know. Ex- or excuse me. It's a full, full no trade clause starting in 2025. And then in the final season, it becomes a 15 team. Oh, no-trade yeah. clause. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to deal Jordan Cairo, it probably has to be this offseason because dealing $8 million at the trade deadline is freaking hard, dude. Teams are so far up against the cap, and I understand there's going to be more room available next off se- or next year than there has been previously because the cap's finally going up a bit. These teams are going to start spending in the offseason. You spend, 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 and so now it's money in, money out for the contenders that would want to take on Jordan Kyrou's deal. The time to do that is very likely in the offseason. So what you're going to have the opportunity to do down the stretch here See what Jordan Kyrou looks like. See what Jimmy Snuggerud looks like whenever he's ready to come up to the NHL level for the final five, ten games of the year. See what you have in Bullduke. See what it looks like the rest of the year for Buchnevich as well. Probably keeping three of those guys that I just mentioned. Yeah. You're definitely keeping Snuggerud. We'll see what happens with Bullduke, uh, Bull how he looks here. And we'll find out what it looks like for both Kyrou and Buchnevich the rest of the year. So... I don't think you're crazy at all. I'm not sure that's specifically why they're bringing him up. I think that is one of the quote-unquote unintended consequences, though, that you'll have an opportunity to see shift after shift how they look comparatively. And one thing that I would like to see, I don't know that we will, but one thing that I would like to see, see what it looks like if you switch Jordan Cairo and uh, Bull Duke. If if Bull Duke is having success, the, yeah. the prerequisite here, he's got to look good with Braden Shen first. Let's see three to five games, but... If he performs well there, then you could see him moving up to that top line. It's
4: part of the reason why I looked at it and say, why not give Jake Neighbors a shot on this top line once again? Because I, I think the Blues, I don't, I don't think the Blues believe this. I, us in this room and a lot of Blues fans look at it and say, I don't know if he's a top line winger. Uh, maybe a second line winger, a really good player to have on the second wing, second line that could create a lot of offense for you. But I'm not sure if you have a top line winger. If Bolduke, if Snuggerud, if Neighbors is that top winger for you, What does that do? I mean, you just, you don't want to get in a position where you're paying $8 million for somebody who's only been able to play the second line for you. So I don't know if it's going to turn into anything for Zachary Bolduc, but
0: one thing is for sure, they love his offense and how he can create it. Be curious to see what it looks like. Blues back in action tomorrow night against the Islanders with Bolduc in the lineup. As I mentioned, he'll be on a line with Braden Shin and Jake Neighbors for his debut. Coming up next, more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're
2: right back to the BK and Ferrario
0: podcast
2: presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's Most Likely to Happen.
4: because we weren't going to get to it from what the conversation we just had during the commercial break.
0: So 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios to <laughs> we'll tell you which one is more likely ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> coming up in 10 minutes. We'll talk to Jose. K- kiju Kojima Kojima excuse me I apologize we'll get to him coming up in just about 10 minutes St. Louis City SC midfielder former first round pick by the team signed his contract yesterday at the beginning of the day by the end of the day had the game winning goal for City so we'll talk to him in 10 minutes Alex before we get to more likely to happen I do want to bring a little bit of our off-air conversation on the air if you don't mind so I have officially gone to a place where when I'm cooking anything that is spicy if I'm like cutting up peppers I use gloves now Now, I know that's probably what I always should have been doing. But now that we have baby boy Mm -hmm. in the house, I have had too many situations where I'll go and I'll wash my hands. I think I've got everything off of me. And, like, I'll touch my my eye or something, and suddenly it's just I'm crying uncontrollably for the next hour and a half. So that's why we went off into a tangent before this segment on the air is because T-Bone yesterday had one of those situations where he, he touched the side of his face. It got all touchy and whatnot, red, puffy, don't, don't use
3: I think I'd the learn. peppers any you know, longer. I almost blew my grill
4: up, you know? Whoa. Yeah, you you probably shouldn't be cooking. All right, yeah. let's Just get, get some more that likely there. to happen. Some frozen dinners for now on. It's red and puffy, though, man. More you likely can't to puffiness. finish the
0: season leading the Cardinals in home runs. Jordan Walker or Lars Neupont? Jordan Walker. I... I I think Lars Núpár could be like a 20 home
4: run guy for you, but I don't know if I'm going much more than that. Jordan Walker is a potential 30 home run guy for you.
3: Yeah, I, I would go Jordan Walker as well. I, I don't really know what the ceiling is on Núpár's home runs. I think it's at 20, 25, 25 but I, I I know that Walker and like he looks like a freak in nature. Dude, uh, he looks huge. He should be a guy that could hit like 30, 40 bombs. I'm
0: going Jordan Walker as well. I'm on the verge of saying some just unreasonable things about what Jordan Walker oh. is going to do in 2024. Oh. So uh, Let's hear it. it that
4: way. Alex, Derek Lee is the guy that I think he's going to be. Obviously Lee was first baseman, but that's who, that's who he looks like every time I see a picture of him. All right, guys, more likely to happen. The Pittsburgh Penguins trade Jake Gensel or the blues trade Pavel Bucinavich?
0: Uh The Penguins are trading Jake Gensel. That is a hundred percent going to happen. Did you see their GM's comments just yeah. a little bit ago? Yeah. He's on IR right now. Their team's not playing particularly well. They need to go into a retool. My question is, what does that mean for Crosby, dude? They, the, their GM said we need to get younger. That's
4: <laughs> after they traded for a 32-year-old forward, traded for a 31-year-old defenseman, and re-signed three dudes that I are 30 old I think they wanted old. to try
0: to give it one last chance. Like, this was their last gasp at trying to piece together a contender around Sidney Crosby. Crosby's 36 dude He's not going anywhere Crosby will retire At Pittsburgh Penguins You can't let him go I'm with you But if you're Crosby I think there has to be A conversation between He and the organization Because they're about to Have to go through a rebuild That's what this is going to be And everybody has to Acknowledge as much And then you go to him And say Do you want to be A part of that and if his answer is no, you find him a good situation elsewhere. Colorado's where D- he's gonna go. Do you go. think that he wants to or be no? a part of a rebuild? I don't think it matters
4: to him. I think he wants to end it with Pittsburgh. Okay. Like, at least hearing Joey talk I mean, about... I that's respectable.
0: I've got no yeah. problem with it, but you've got to have that conversation I, with him.
4: He, hearing Joey talk about it, and we can ask Joe tomorrow when he's on with us, but like hearing Joe talk about Crosby... Crosby's, I think the only thing that matters to him is finishing his career where he's had so much success, especially because Mario Lemieux has been a role model for him. If they're going down that path, they approach Sidney Crosby and say, What do we do here? And uh, they consider trading Evgeny Malkin. Now, I don't know how you could do it after you sign into that contract and how much money it is, but it comes down to Malkin, Latang, Carlson. And I don't think you're going to move on from Latang they are not going to be able to move on from Carlson, so maybe you go down the path of trading Evgeny Malkin. But yeah, I mean, they're the answer is Gensel here. They, they have to. Dubis basically told them, "Look, unless you put yourself in a playoff spot between now and the trade deadline, we're trading these players away."
3: All right. Well, Dubas is gone, so uh, I, they I just hired him. I know, but <laughs> he's got like an eight-year contract. Yeah. He's got
0: a ton of like money. Like,
4: they, they hired that dude, and he basically came in with a sledgehammer and just tore it all down. If they took on
0: fifty percent of. Eric Carlson's contract, would you take him? It'd be a $5 million contract. Who
4: are you guess. taking from me, though, Is my follow-up? Mm. You got to take Tory Krug or... Sure, Tory Krug. Probably. What's 50% of his
0: contract? You're- Let's say you're paying him $6 million, so it's yeah. even. Yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. Would you add in anything? Because no. you're, you're probably going to have to add in like a first or second round no, pick. No, I'm not. You want to trade them? you take them. But they're eating salary. Just to retain salary, you're going to have to give up a second I round wouldn't pick. give up a first round pick. Maybe
4: right. a second round pick because I've got two of them this year.
3: Guys, sticking with the NHL theme and it sticks with Bucinovic and kind of ties in with Alex's tinfoil from the last segment. More likely to happen two years from now, both Jordan Cairo and Pavel Bucinovic will be making eight million dollars on the on this Blues team. Or two years from now, neither one of them are a St. Louis Blue. I think it's more likely neither one. I'm surprised
0: that that's where I've arrived here, and I reserve the right to change that depending on what happens over the wow. course of the next few that's weeks. Underlying the statement with this show. <laughs> I don't think they're going to re-sign Pavel Buchnevich. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting I, to be very skeptical about that. I think a lot of it comes down to the money. What does he want? What is he going to command on the open market? But if you can't re-sign him this summer, I think you have to trade him. And I think that's probably uh, going to be the way the word says. I heads.
4: think if a team calls them at the trade deadline, I don't would not put it past Doug Armstrong to say, you know what? I can't pass up this deal. We got to move on. Because we know what the negotiations are probably going to be like. He's also going to be 30 years old when he is a free agent. Know how Doug feels about that. I wouldn't put it past them to look at a Buchnevich at the deadline and say, we're getting something that makes us better in return, so we got to do it.
3: That's where I am as well. I, I Maybe not so much he trades them at the deadline, but I think it's more likely that neither one are here in two years because I, I think they're disappointed. I don't know this, but I, I would think they may be a little disappointed in Cairo yep. and it's just not Doug's MO to pay Bucinavich in his thirties on a contract. Like he's going to get and that you have got
4: Dvorsky, Snuggerud, Bull Duke, Stenberg. Yeah. Like you got four guys that they view as and top nine potential we, players. We did The
3: crossroads question yesterday, you know, between Bucin and Cairo and I brought up, is it option C? Like, it feels like picking, and I hate to say this, but it feels like picking two bad options if I got to choose one. Yeah. So I, I think they may go down the route I, of moving both real
4: quick. So know we got to get to a Jose, I think if you get to the point where you're trading away Pavel Buchnevich, you're, for, you're getting something in return that makes you better now. You're forced
0: onto the path of we might have to move on from Cairo as well. One quick thing to get to. This is a little bit of news from Derek Gould earlier today. Tommy Edmond could still be weeks away from facing a pitcher as he recovers from wrist surgery. He's spending that time in center field. Quote, if you can catch fly balls in Florida, you can catch them anywhere, end quote. Okay, who, know, the honestly, good, who
4: the hell said right that? He's right, though, about that quote. Who the hell said that? Still potentially weeks away. And if you're right. weeks away from facing a pitcher, a pitcher, you're he's weeks right. away, following the weeks away, from getting into game action. Interesting. Yeah, he won't right. play until March. He's going to start doing the, the IL. Yeah. St. Louis I'm City now.
0: SC back in action last night and awesome game to watch out there at city park they come out victorious they have their first mls game coming up this weekend their former first round pick signed his contract yesterday scored the game winning goal in the game by the end of the night and today he's going to be joining us here on bk and ferrario he joins us next here on 101 espn
2: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
3: With a cross and the shot of Kijima goal
0: That's what it sounded like last night on Fox Sports 2 as Jose Kajima makes his debut for st louis city sc he enters into the game in the 86th minute he scores the game winning goal for city in the 90th minute and oh by the way earlier in the day he signed his pro contract (laughs) with st louis city sc not a bad way to spend a day and jose kojima joins us now here on 101 espn jose thank you so much for joining us my friend i have to imagine you're feeling like you're on cloud nine coming off of what was a spectacular performance for you yesterday
1: no, yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. But um yeah, I mean the the fans were great. The stadium atmosphere was just- insane and uh, i couldn't be more more thankful for for all the fans and the coaching staff and my teammates
4: yeah seriously jose that that is like what people when when you ask like eight year old kids like what's your dream <laughs> scenario it's like well, get to the pros and i score a goal or i have a big moment right away and like to have that so here's the part that i'm curious about jose because you played like four and a half minutes what was that like for you waiting to get into the match and then at the last minute you kind of get in and you have that type of impact
1: yeah, I mean, waiting is one thing, but but the the other thing is just to just for me to be on the roster was was extremely uh, surprising to me because I thought I would be the last one to, to even see the field, right? So um, again, it's it's just gratitude. Like I could not be more thankful to obviously Bradley and and all my uh, all the coaching staff and my teammates. But um, yeah, going on the field, it was incredible atmosphere. Something I've never experienced before. Um, but yeah, uh, it came. With a surprise, I just saw the ball bouncing and I just shot it. And not, not not much thought was uh, there. So,
0: <laughs> who was the first call for you after the game last night, Jose? Was it was it your parents? Who, who was the first call that that you made after you have your four, first pro goal here in St. Louis?
1: Uh, yeah, it was my it was my mom. Um, she was actually watching um, on Twitter and she saw the goal. So she, she called me and said, or I called her, and she was telling me how like she couldn't stop shaking uh, from excitement. Um, the second one was uh, Bobby Muse at Wake Forest. Um, he's been a big part of my development as a player and as a person, so um, I'm glad I got to, to call um, probably two of, one of, uh, two of the most important people in my life. So,
4: so that's the part that I'm interested in too, Jose, because spending time at Wake Forest, and I believe you were there for the four years, and then getting to the MLS – what was the major difference for you in terms of college soccer till once you got to the major league soccer?
1: I would say, I mean, yeah, the the first thing that springs to mind is is speed of play, but um, probably the major one is physicality. Um, I thought it was not only fast, but very strong as well. Um, Obviously, playing with Probably one of the best defenders, Tim Parker, during training is I can't get past him, honestly. (laughs) Um, Even if I'm not an attacker, right, you try your best, but, you know, it's it's difficult. Um, Zero out of ten times, I'm getting past him. So, um, yeah, physicality is one. I think intelligence is another thing, too, because, um, you know, there's a lot of players that use their their brain very, very well. Um, Especially you saw Houston Dynamo yesterday. Um, Players like um, Artur in the midfield um, were very, very... uh, silky on the ball and, and very, they, they didn't move much at all. So it is, um, I would say brain, uh, physicality, and speed of play would be the three things. How, how
4: do you prepare for, for physicality in soccer? Because I, I would imagine as a midfielder, you're not really an- anticipating a lot of that throughout a game, correct?
1: <laughs> no, you, you, of course, as a midfielder, you probably get the most actually physical aspect of the game since you get a lot of pressure, right? And, you know, if you break pressure, tra- they'll try to follow you to, to to stop a goal-scoring chance. So, um, yeah, it's obviously difficult to prepare for it, right? But um, I guess in the gym, um, working to get bigger. But um, <laughs> on the other hand, is it's important to try to use your body very well. So that, the, the brain aspect comes in as well. So
0: Jose Kojima is our guest here on 101 ESPN. If you're not familiar with some of his backstory, it, it's a really excellent one. And for St. Louis City SC specifically, in the draft, they traded up from number fifty overall to select him with the number seventeen selection in the draft. That was uh, back in December, and and now he is a part of the roster. Made it after a great training camp, Jose. I do want to go back a little bit of what these last few months have been like for you. First, from uh, let's start with the draft. Right when, when you're on that night and you hear that you're going to be selected by st louis city sc what was your initial reaction to that of coming to a new city i don't know how much you knew at the time about this team about what they had been able to accomplish in year one but what was your initial reaction when you were actually selected by city
1: um yeah i was bursting with excitement because honestly i didn't think i was going to be get drafted that high uh, simply because of my international status but um you know, John Hackworth called me afterwards and said, "You know, welcome to the club." And I'm, I was just ecstatic, and I can I couldn't wait to get uh, started with training. So,
0: what were the few months after that like in terms of moving to the city and then getting ready for training? And in, in other sports, this stuff can all be such a whirlwind, right? You, it's not just the the soccer side of things. You also have your personal life that you've got got to get taken care of. What's What's this process been like for you to get situated with your your new home here in St. Louis?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing was to get into the United States, so that was a very, very long process and stressful process, um, you know, doing applications and going to the embassy, doing all these things, and I finally got the visa, um, and then I was finally able to come to the United States, um, but since I was late, I had to go to Florida right away with the team. I was there for three days, and I came back to St. Louis for a week and then went to California, um, so a lot of travel, um, but... This type of travel is not stressful to me because you're doing what you love, right um, and I can I'll probably I can confidently say I'll never get sick of it, but um, yeah I mean it's it's been chaotic, but it's been probably one of the the best times of my life.
4: man, just hearing that sounds like you had to be happy when you finally got to the start of the season and they said, okay, now you could just stay in St. Louis and stop moving around
0: and just play soccer yeah, just do the stuff
4: that you love, yeah. right
1: Yeah, 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 for sure.
4: So, how much did you know, Jose, about St. Louis before you got there, and what what's changed for you now that you've been in St. Louis
1: a little bit? So, nothing about the city, um, but I knew a lot of city tactics because I did a lot of analysis on them uh, as soon as we got draft- I got drafted, but um, now that I'm here, though, it seems like it's it's a very calm place, at least where I live at. Um, since I moved into my, my apartment a couple of days ago, but it's it's very calm, it's peaceful, um, but it's also it's also beautiful. Like you can see the arc from my window, um, and I've seen downtown. Obviously, the training facility is amazing, but I think overall, it's 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 my type of town or city.
0: I am curious. So say when you when you look at where where you're at right now in your career, like this has to be such an exciting time. You also seem like you are like a soccer rat in terms of you, you just seem to love the sport. Where where does that come from originally? Is that something that was a part of uh, your family growing up? Did did you get that from friends that you were around? Where where does your original
1: love of soccer come from? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. Interesting. Um, I'm the, I'm the very first soccer player in my family. Wow. And yeah, I mean, nothing special there. Um, I, I do idolize Kobe Bryant and I've I've studied him for the past maybe six, seven years, taking notes, watching videos, all that stuff. Um, but a lot of my philosophy as a person, as a player, uh, root from him. So in that sense, I have a, a, a obsessiveness um, in, in the sport and I've dedicated to, uh, my life to this sport. So, um, yeah, I love the sport and I'm obsessed with it. So
0: That's so interesting. You have you have a passion for kobe where 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 did that come from originally was it just you you were a fan of him as a player or you you mentioned the mentality that certainly is a big part of it what where does that come from
1: honestly i just stumbled upon him uh i didn't watch any basketball um yeah i was watching youtube and and people were talking about how kobe bryant's mentality was was sick right um (laughs) crazy so you know i explored it a little bit and it was, it was the perfect um perfect i guess framework you could say for me to, to build off of so. So,
4: jose i did want to ask you how big was soccer in japan for you
1: uh very big actually yeah. um it, i think right now apart from baseball it is the number one sport being watched um in the country so um obviously high school tournaments they probably get like fifty thousand fans to their wow. their tournament final and things like that. So um, it definitely is a trend, um, obviously increasing with uh, players like Iniesta going there. But um, when I was there, you know, uh, school day, school in the day, and then football at night. So uh, <laughs> it was a big part of me. Jose
0: Kajima is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He's the St. Louis City SC first rounder from last year. Now uh, the the man that scored the game winning goal for city last night. Jose, I did want to ask you about that journey that brought you to America. I, I was reading you end up going to IMG Academy early on here when you came over to America to play soccer there. What was that experience like? As you, I, I would imagine it's a different culture, different environment, everything. You come over here to play soccer at IMG. What was that first experience like? As you got over?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean it was very difficult. Um, you know, as a as a twelve year old small Japanese kid going to, you know, probably one of the biggest countries as, um, in the well, actually continents in the world is is you know almost unheard of at times, but, um, it was a learning experience for me. Uh, I had to adapt, um, to different things. So a great example is like people were using forks to eat here when I was first here and I was just completely shocked that the that they were using chopsticks So <laughs> uh, just like that. And obviously the major changes as well. So, um, it was, it was a very long process to just adapt, um, but, you know, in, at the end of the day, it is the process and, you know, it's you got to enjoy it as much as you can because you're only you only get one of them. So.
4: All right, Jose. So, so let's have some fun with you before we let you go. You mentioned that you can see the arch. I'm going to go through a quick rundown of St. Louis stuff <laughs> that you need to check out and tell me if it sounds interesting or not. Of course, you got to go up into the arch. We joke about it a lot here on BK and Ferrari. Once you do it once, though, you're done. You're, you've seen it all. <laughs> You got to check out the zoo because it's free. And have you had toasted ravioli or gooey butter cake yet? I have not yet. I do want to try toasted ravioli, though. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say your entire team. Toasted ravioli is a good one. Your entire team has probably been preaching to you. If you haven't tried toasted ravioli, get it. And you got to go get it on the hill, Jose. You got to go on the hill and try it.
0: And the other thing you got to okay. try, okay. for it's a rite of passage. You, you got to try St. Louis style pizza. I don't know if you love it. A lot of people that aren't originally from St. Louis, it's kind of a take it or leave it type of a thing. It's a very different kind of a pizza Jose, but you got to give St. Louis style pizza a
1: try as well. No. Yeah. I'm a foodie. So I'll definitely try all those things. There we go. go. Have
4: you tried out like any big food places yet in St. Louis, or is you still trying to get kind of
0: acclimated with it? It's a shockingly good restaurant scene out here?
1: Yeah. I mean, I heard, but uh, yeah, first of all, I got to get acclimated. Second thing is I don't go out (laughs) much. (laughs) Um, Okay. I did try a faux spot on DoorDash, which was very good. I forgot nice. what it was called.
4: There you go. All right. Well, uh, well Jose, sure. if you want to get out more, just call our guy T-Bone. He'll set it up. BK and Ferrari <laughs> will take you out on a night on the town around St. Louis. I appreciate that. There I'll let go. you know.
0: Jose, final thing before we get you out of here. We did have a couple of people on the text line um, that, that wanted to make sure that we asked you this. Can you pronounce your last name for us? Just so that way in the future we make sure that we are saying it 100% correct.
1: In English or in Japanese? Uh, You could do both. both. So in English, it's Kijima. In Japanese, it's Kijima. Kijima? Yes. What do you prefer people go by?
0: Sorry? What do you prefer people, like for fans that are listening right now, what do you prefer that they reference you by?
1: I mean, it doesn't really matter to me. Whatever nickname or whatever name you want to call me, uh, I don't really mind
0: yeah okay sounds good we just want to make sure we get it right there was there was a blues player that for his entire career i think it was like a six-year career he had been been called by the wrong name and then he got here and people he somebody asked him hey what what do you want to be referenced by and he said well my name is yakub but everybody's just called me jacob my entire (laughs) time here in in the nhl so i I guess that's what it is so i want to make sure that we get that right uh for you moving forward that's awesome yeah
4: we, we come up with nicknames a lot on BK and Ferrario, too, Jose. So we'll come up with a good one, and we'll find out if you <laughs> approve with it
1: or not. Okay, let me know. I'll be
0: <laughs> That's Jose Kojima. Jose, thank you so much for hopping on with us today, man. Congratulations on the success in your first match here in uh, St. Louis City SC. We're wishing you nothing but the best moving forward, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon, my friend.
1: Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Awesome. You thanks it. so thanks. Jose
0: Kajima here on one oh one ESPN. A shout out to him uh for a game winning goal last night. That was awesome. And sounds like a heck of a kid, man. man um He's been here three days. Yep. He's been here
4: three days. Think about that. He said he just moved into his apartment yesterday and he scores
0: the game winning goal for City SA. Yep. That's the way to implement yourself. What, an, what a journey, too. Yeah. He comes over to America for IMG Academy to play soccer there, originally from Japan, mm-hmm. and excels at such a level that he gets an opportunity to go to Wake Forest. Spends the four years there. Like he said, he's, he's expecting to be drafted, but maybe not in the top 20. City trades up into the top 20 to be able to select him with num- the number 17 pick. Yeah. And then I, I would imagine, T-Bone, you were talking to us a little bit ago about how he had such a great training camp, and he mentioned it there, wasn't expecting to make the team, much less be inserted into the game in the 86th minute of the first match of the season and then getting an opportunity to score the game-winning goal. What a whirlwind. Yeah. Like, what, what an unbelievable story this kid has. And,
3: and, and you know, him mentioning Kobe and the, the Mamba mentality that Kobe Bryant always had, I mean, that kind of shows it right there, you know, a guy that comes in late to camp because he's trying to get his visa to get into the United States, doesn't make any excuses for himself, comes out, shows up, plays really well in training camp for the squad, and then has to also not—he mentioned flying to California as well, where they had the second part of their training camp, and then he signs the contract, goes out, and though it is—I don't remember how much added time was in that second half last night— but, like, you get six to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys don't, you know, think about that. You get six to ten minutes to make a first impression. And what do you do? You score a goal. Not just score a goal, the game-winning yeah. goal.
0: And one that was, like, it was work
3: ethic. Yeah, That's
0: what the goal was. The, yeah. the goal was, like, all of the, the grimy, greasy goals that we talk about yeah. for the Blues. That is what we saw. He said that, that you prepare for, for, for
4: physicality. Yep. And, like, he showcased a physicality. And that's not a big guy. You showcase your physicality in a match like that with four and a half minutes. Uh, I know our, our guy, Gio, Gio, Giochini. Is that, is that how you pronounced it? Joe He was our guy last year when he came on with us, and we loved him. I, I, I'll implement it right now. The, the player for BK and Ferrario
0: is Jose Kajima. We need to get his Twitter following up. He is on Twitter. Yep. He has 660 followers. Get I'm that. hoping that by the end of the day today, we can get him up to 1,000. Thousand. Yeah. At Kijima Jose, K-I-J-I-M-A. H-O-S-E-I. So it's his first name after his last name. That is his Twitter handle. Give him a follow, guys. Get after this guy. This is one of ours now. Tell me he's a BK and Ferrario favorite. St. Louis City SC midfielder. He is a Mamba mentality man, and he is soon going to be eating all across this great city uh, after he scored the game-winning goal last night. It might be a weird text t-bone but
4: send him a text and ask him to videotape when he takes the first bite of a t-rav <laughs> i'd like to see his face
0: i wonder what's more enjoyable the game-winning goal last night oh, or T-Rav. the first toast of er, first taste of a t-rav it's t Rev. could go either there way. there is nothing better than that the rewind is coming up next
2: we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com
0: with Jose, I would say it was worthy of your time. So if you missed any of that interview, any, any of the show today, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. You can check it out on YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. The podcast is all presented by Dubs Tire and Auto Center. We'll be back tomorrow. 11 a.m. is where you can find us right here on 101 ESPN. On Friday, Alex, we've got a great guest coming up for the people as well.
4: Yeah, Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet, our good buddy of BKM Ferrario, talking NHL
0: trade deadline. Plenty coming up over the next couple of days. We'll certainly be talking about the Tommy Edmond news tomorrow as well, so be sure to stay tuned for all of that. The Fast Lane coming up from 2 to 6. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow here on 101 ESPN.
2: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers
0: on 101
2: ESPN.